This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for October 23rd, 2020. My name is Dylan Flynn. And I guess that makes me Trevor Ickrath. Trevor, gorilla season is in full tilt boogie. It really is. I mean, I remember specifically feeling at the end of our last episode when we signed off, like the next time you and I would be sitting down together, it would be to discuss like maybe four or five more gorillas tracks. Oh, yeah, of course. Turns out we have a whole dang album to talk about today. We, Dude, we got our Trump election album. Now we've got our COVID album. Like, how cool is it to know that anytime something cataclysmically horrible happens, we're going to have a Gorillaz album about it to look forward to? It's a nice little silver lining. I, like, fi- for me, fingers crossed, like, Alien Invasion 2021. Oh, yeah, that'll be definitely one of the most exciting Gorillaz phases. Maybe they'll replace Murdoch with an alien. Anyway, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so do you want to get into the news? Let's get into that news. It's all good news now. Okay, this was just announced, Trevor. Gorillas and Beck will perform Valley of the Pagans on Animal Talking, a talk show that takes place inside of Animal Crossing. Uh, it is tonight, if you're listening to this episode when it goes up, 7 p.m. PST on October 23rd. Yeah, and apparently that's going to feature an interview with Damon Auburn and Jamie Hewlett as well. Yeah, and then and then Tootie and Beck are going to perform. So I guess we're going to see like a distinct Damon avatar in Animal Crossing and then a distinct 2D avatar in Animal Crossing. You and Crossing. I are both big fans of Animal Crossing. You may be a little more than me, but I I can only imagine that we're both like really looking forward to seeing those characters and those people rendered in that kind of style. I wonder if Damon's ever picked up a Nintendo Switch before. But the thing... Okay, so Trevor, this reminds me of a very specific moment in Phase 2 when the band did a live chat with the fans on a Habo Hotel. I also have like vague memories of that happening and of what Habo Hotel is in general. It was like Club Penguin, a virtual hangout yeah. space that was like overrun by trolls. <laughs> In my mind, I misremember that whole thing as Gorillas doing an interview at Club Penguin. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Song Machine Radio because Gorillas have just launched an Apple Music radio show. Right, kind of a sequel to Murdoch's Pirate Radio in a way. Yeah, yeah. I would say I would clock this as not as good at that as that. And, like, better than Russell's podcast. Uh, Which I never listened to a single second of. Well, you know what? That's exactly the amount you needed to. The first episode of Song Machine Radio is out right now. Uh, It's hosted by 2D. It features a playlist of songs from Gorilla's collaborators. Uh, 2D repeatedly calls them calibrators. (laughs) That's fun. And uh, it focuses on... Like, you know, his established 2D tastes, synth pop and dance music. It's got, like, Grace Jones and LCD sound system. Uh, as well as some kind of deep gorillas cuts. He played uh, Sleeping Powder and People, which is interesting. That's fun, seeing some B-sides get thrown in there. You know, you could imagine that, like, 2D canonically thinks People is better than Dare. That would make sense. He's on it more. Uh, he also interviewed Georgia, who seems very nice and, and has a sharp wit on her. 
Georgia of the track Aries. Uh, there will be three more episodes, one hosted by each of the other band members. So we'll get a Noodle, we'll get a Russell, we'll get a Murdoch. Uh, yeah, I think that this is like a cooler thing to do than just the straight up G mix, for example. Oh yeah, definitely more interesting than those Spotify playlists. As far as like supplemental phase material, I say you could do a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, any opportunity to like hear a little long form like gorillas lore writing and character work is like a pretty good time usually generally definitely uh damon has been making some really crazy like gorillas teases uh as he's promoting this new record here's what i'd like trevor one i'd like you to as is our tradition uh essay all of the damon quotes as damon albarn and then I'd also like to get your, like, believe it when I see it rating on a scale from, like, one meaning this is never happening to ten meaning this is definitely happening. My Damon Albarn impression is a little rusty, but I will give it my best go. Dust it off. So he told he told Italian magazine Sete that a Gorillaz movie is coming. All right, hit me with that quote. He said, uh, there is a project. It will arrive on Netflix. One hour of pure fiction with music. We are now evaluating the first script, which is kind of a stilted sentence for a human being to say. Was that translated or something? I wonder if it was translated from Italian. Yeah. We are now evaluating the, the first, first script. script. What do you think? Uh, I mean, we've been burned on this thing in the past, you know, the Gorillas movie. But like thinking about the kind of stuff Netflix puts out, I feel like I still want to say, maybe I'm being naive by this point, but I want to say there's a decent chance of this finally finally happening so i'll give that like uh a, a five i'll give that straight down the middle i'll give that give that a five on the believe it when i see it scale i'm gonna i'm gonna hedge my bets a little further than you i'm gonna say like a three i just feel like there's something there's a curse to getting any like long form visual gorillas content off the ground it's the it's the smart bet but i just i want to believe you know you know, you should live each day in hope, even if that means you die each night in despair, Trevor. Which I already do, so hey, what do I have to lose? He also teased holograms? Yeah, he said, the idea is to do something that justifies this virtual thing so people can expect to see the cartoons on stage playing with us at some point. Me becoming 2D, then going back to being me. Something like that. Now, I do think he was specifically talking about these live streams that are coming up. So use that information as you as you give me your will it ever happen rating. I mean, that definitely feels a lot more likely than like going to a gorilla's show at like a stadium and seeing some holograms. So I'll I'll say like I'll I'll go a little closer towards a four on that one. I'll be like uh I'm gonna say like a six on this. I think it sounds hilarious and cool. I hope it happens. It sounds a little frightening, him becoming two D and then going back to him. I'd love it. <laughs> I love kind of weird kind of body transfiguration. I'm not generally a fan of those things. But he also told the French chat show that Song Machine season two is in the works. Okay, hit me with that quote. He said, I'm working on season two. It'll start up in probably February or something. <laughs> okay, probably February or something. Yeah, I'm not, uh, not super specific on the details, but this I feel like has the is the most likely of these three things to actually happen. So I'm going to give that a three. I'm going to give it a, I'll give it like a, oh, you're doing lower means more likely, 10 means less likely? Yeah. 
We're, I think we're doing it opposite, but whatever. Who cares? I'll do the, well, I'll do the same thing flip sided for you. I'll do seven because that's my version of a three. Uh, the only the only like caveat I would put in that is I do get worried that this pace is going to run Jamie Hewlett ragged. Oh yeah, I mean especially if they continue to do a music video for every song. That's a lot of work on Jamie's part. That's a lot of work on Jamie's part. Like I if he does go straight into season 2, I would predict that season 2 would be like the last season of this that we get for some time. Hopefully it doesn't like burn out the friendship or partnership again. Because, you know, Jamie Hewlett is kind of like the unsung workhorse of the band. If you think about man hours, he's definitely put in more time being in gorillas than David has. Oh, yeah. The thing that gets me hyped about this, Trevor, is because Song Machine is kind of so, you know, collaborator focused, sometimes big name collaborator focused, my mind's just going wild trying to imagine who might be coming down the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen them get some like big names that I would not have expected to show up on a gorillas track for this season so it feels like anything's possible going into the future so i thought it might be fun if we like each give a little five name wish list uh, or you know yeah just a wish list for season two our gorillas season two song machine collaborator drafts i've got mine i got mine too do you want to go through all of them at once or do you want to name one and go, go back and forth how do you want to handle this Let's do it zipper style. You'll do one, I'll do one. We'll keep going that way. All right. So, first I wanted to go with a rapper and kind of a kind of a bigger established one. I thought it'd be really cool to get Ghostface Killer of the Wu-Tang Clan uh, on a Gorillaz track. Yes. The closest thing we've gotten to like Wu-Tang affiliation is Redman. It's time. It definitely is. Yeah. I mean, I I'd, I'd honestly really enjoy seeing any of them show up. Like I think Rizzo would be great too. But Ghostface Killer, he's always been a big favorite of mine, so he'd have to be my first pick. Okay, so I I, I went with three like big crazy swings, and I'm not saying I won all of them. I'm just saying if I get any of these, I'll be happy. And then I did two that are like more reasonable, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna start off Stevie Wonder, I think would be a fucking break the internet pick. I'm kind of like that is definitely a reach, but I'm there's part of me that's surprised it hasn't already happened. First of all, Stevie makes a lot of sense because he, you know, in the 70s, he was the one pushing like, no, we got to bring vocoders and synthesizers into pop music. So that just feels like a very gorillazy outlook. Yep. And they might just like imagine if Damon and Stevie like jammed on synths together. It would be awesome. Stevie on that clavinet and maybe. David on a stylophone or something? That'd be sick. And now that you bring him up, I'm surprised he's not one of like the big heroes of the band that like con that the that the animated members are like frequently referencing in interviews and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, curious. Curious about that. All right, what's your next one? Next I wanted to go with somebody uh more contemporary, someone who's a bit more of a rising star, although still pretty established by this point. Uh, the guitarist and indie pop singer-songwriter Mitski. She was on my short list. She didn't make it all the way, but yeah, no-brainer. Seems like a really natural fit for the band. She's got that arty, you know, weirdo outlook. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Who's not? Who's uh? Who's next on your list? Speaking of arty weirdos, perhaps their their hallowed queen. Big swing. I'd love to get Kate Bush on a Gorillaz song. Oh, another one that fe would feel really natural. Yeah, I'm surprised Kate Bush, Bush didn't come to mind for me. You know, it, it makes sense that she's not popped up yet because she does sort of seem to be like a cryptoid of a musician. She's she very, kind of... very elusive. Yeah. But they got Grace Jones and she, almost nobody more elusive than that. So come on, Kate Bush. Yeah, I think I, I think the last time we heard from Kate Bush was that 50 Words for Snow album, on which she collaborated with somebody who shows up on this album, Elton John. 
Well, well, well. Yeah. Who's next for you? My the the third artist that I picked is a real personal favorite of mine, uh, Noah Lennox, better known as Panda Bear in the band Animal Collective. Now that would be something. That would be really cool. One of my favorite vocalists. He's really into like cool psychedelic stuff, and I think Gorillas could make really excellent use of him. Didn't even consider something like that. That would be a really fun one. Mm-hmm. Who's next for you? Okay, last of my big crazy swings. Uh, it would be a dream for me to get David Byrne on a gorilla song. You know, that's the next name on my list. I wanted to have like a big weirdo elder statesman, and like yeah. David Byrne feels like he would be an amazing gorillas collaborator. Like he could he he feels like somebody who would take who would really take the kind of style of music that this band likes to experiment with and really run with it. Maybe because we both picked it and had it like in the same number on our slot or almost anyway. Maybe we've manifested it. Maybe maybe it will happen now. I mean he was like he was probably like the second person who came to mind for me. Yeah. Just that's how much I want him on a gorilla song. Who's next on yours, though, since that takes care of mine? Okay, this seems like it's it's quite doable and also a really natural natural fit. Rosalia, I think, would rule on I'm Gorilla Song. I'm not familiar with Rosalia. Okay, well, she's like an avant-garde uh, Latinx pop star. I believe she's from Argentina. A true weirdo. She's a great like writer of hooks, and I think she would like really kill it on a Gorilla's record. Cool. I mean, yeah, from the sound of that, I'd be down. Who's next for you? The last one on my list is a very personal choice. Not even somebody that I'm, I'm sure would like work super well in the context of the band. But uh, I just wanted to throw in Will Toledo from the band Car Seat Headrest. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty fun. And he already has kind of like a, uh, an animated alter ego persona that he kind of pulled out for his most recent work. So maybe it would work. That feels like it'd be a big moment for Will, like a big, a big boost to visibility for Will, too. I have no idea what he what he thinks about the Gorillaz project. I could see it going either way with that, dude. It'd be fun for me personally. So we got like a, a big, like, current name freshman class of hip-hop dude on this one and i was thinking well that would would stand a reason maybe we'll get one of my other favorite like late tens emerging uh rappers i went with denzel curry i think it's very doable and i think he would really rule yeah denzel curry strikes me as like a, a another good choice and somebody who would work well within the band uh can i just throw out like one little also ran because i didn't want to put him on my five but i do think it's kind of dumb that he hasn't shown up yet who's that ray davies i mean the kinks are like the the spirit band of blur oh yeah so why hasn't that happened good question i mean i think he and damon have performed like live on stage before right like damon has covered uh waterloo sunset with him live so like they've met but I don't know why he's never tried to get him on a Gorillaz project. Maybe he has. Who knows? He's in the Rolodex. Bring him in. Yeah. Uh, a name that I didn't, that didn't quite make my list, but one that like I, I really wanted to fit on there was uh, Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac. Oh, that would rule. That'd Nicks be pretty would rule. Good, yeah. Anyway, Damon, if you're listening, which we know you are, make some of these happen. Come on. Yeah. Come on. David Byrne. That's all we're asking. David Byrne on a Gorillaz song. You know St. Vincent. She has his number. So shooter a text okay back into the news i got one more story here and uh 
It's that gorillas are going to perform Song Machine Live, a gorillas live stream via Live Now on December 12th and 13th, Trevor. Yeah, this will be cool. I'm looking forward to this. It'll be interesting to see some of these songs get pulled out into into a live setting. There's three performances confirmed that these are three separate performances that are all happening live. Yeah, there's there's three. There's one in Asia, one in Australia, and one in New Zealand. Yeah, that one's on December 12th. That's the 8 p.m. show. Right. Then there's the second there's the second night which is North and South America at 4 p.m. PST. And then finally UK and Europe and Africa uh 7 p.m. GMT on December 13th. Do we have any big predictions here, set list-wise? I kind of feel like they might just play the record. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I'm not expecting the set list to vary too much from night to night. Maybe, like, depending on the amount of rehearsal, I could see something get played on, like, the first night, and then maybe they decide it's not working and kind of drop it for something else in the second and third nights. But It would not shock me if each show gets, an, it gets like a distinct encore song, like Hong Kong for the Asia show and et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Lots of ticket options are available, including a virtual party pack where you get four tickets to one of the performances, and then you get to hang out with your four buddies in like a group chat they've set up while you watch the show. Now, that is the version that we got, Trevor. Right. One ticket for me, one ticket for you, one ticket for honorary Halloween monkey Maxton Stenstrom. But what about that fourth ticket? That's the question, isn't it? Who is that fourth ticket going to go to? Maybe maybe that fourth ticket could go to you, the listener. Yeah, contest time. Bum, 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 bum. Come hang out with us uh, December 12th. 4 p.m. PSD for that North and South America show and watch uh, watch Song Machine live with us. This is a contest. If you win, you get that fourth ticket, you hang out with us. Then in the following episode of Hallelujah Monkeys, when we like review our, our virtual concert experience, you're going to come on the show and review that show with us here on Hallelujah Monkeys. And how, how do you win this sacred honor, you might be asking? Well, all you have to do is follow us on Twitter, at Gorillas Fancast, and send us a tweet there with the hashtag, the podcast machine is rumbling, all one word. And I'm going to keep the entries open for a week. So, like, uh, if you get it in by midnight Thursday of next week, I guess technically that's Friday at that point, uh, then you're you're eligible. I'm going to raffle through them. We'll announce the winner that day, the day before Halloween, October 30th. So One day before Noodle's birthday. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> maybe it'll be maybe it'll be her. Maybe. Maybe we'll get to hang out with Noodle and not one of these listeners who are always tuning in. Uh so yeah. Uh, hashtag the podcast machine is rumbling. Come be on Hallelujah Monkeys and also go see a show with us. That'll be cool. I can't wait. Something else I haven't been able to wait for, Dylan, is to talk about this new Gorillas album with you. Because there's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. It's seventeen new tracks. Let's get into it and discuss Song Machine Season 1, Strange Times. Do you like my shoes? No. See, that's negative. Nude, what do you think about my shoes? I think she's got a point. Let's talk about, like, let's just give some background and talk about how we feel about it, what, what what our thoughts were going into this thing, because I had some 
serious reservations when it was announced, like, what what kind of seemed to be prematurely at the time, that they were releasing all of these things as, like, a big, long album. Yeah, not going to dole out the rest of the songs. You're going to get them all in advance. They're still going to keep making the videos. Uh I guess, I, theoretically, to link up with this almanac that's supposedly coming out, although I hear it's delayed. I, I remember as every time it would come up, when when you and I were talking together, there was some trepidation on your part. You felt like, I don't know about this one. Yeah, because I feel like the whole point of the Song Machine project has been to release one like independent song every month. And so far what we'd gotten, and judging from the, like, the track list they showed us when they announced the album... It didn't seem like it was all really going to fit together into one cohesive package. And when I found out that it was going to be like 17 tracks in total, I just started to feel a little overwhelmed. Yeah, I, I guess I was trying to really reserve any feeling about it and not think too hard about it. I did feel when they announced the track list, I was looking at some of the placements and thinking like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that there. I don't know about that there. But otherwise, I was just kind of like, let's see. Let's see what we get. And it another thing that it felt like to me was like they were throwing what little concept that they had for this phase kind of out the window because it was all marketing strategy, you know, like we didn't have like the, the election backgrounding. We didn't have like the album as a reaction to humans to give us context. It was all this release strategy. And now we didn't even have that anymore. Damon even said in that French interview, I mentioned that he was like, uh, I I envisioned this originally that like there would be this story where the collaborators would come step inside the song machine and do their part not knowing what anybody else was doing and then the song machine would would like forge the songs together and he's like maybe next season we'll do like a little video explaining that that might have helped at some point have a little bit of of conceptual underpinning yeah so let's let's just like fucking pull the bandaid off what do we think I feel pretty good about this record. It's not my favorite Gorillaz release, and it kind of has taken me a little bit to warm up to this as a whole cohesive project. But I do, but like with any Gorillaz material nowadays, kind of ever since I started hosting a podcast about them, I'm really happy to have all this stuff, and I've been enjoying spending time with it. We seem to be on the same page. I think that Song Machine has been like an incredible Gorillaz phase. Mm hmm. And it has resulted in a merely pretty good Gorillaz album. Yeah. I think the highs are are soaring. And then I think some of these songs don't quite come all the way together for me. And, and many others don't seem to kind of hang with each other in a continuous package. It's maybe the first Gorillaz project that doesn't feel like it's greater than the sum of its parts. That it relies on its individual parts being separately really good. Which makes sense. I mean, it's not like this was one big session where, you know, they generate a bunch of material, they're experimenting, they decide what belongs together and what to cut. You know, you're not looking at everything you've got and thinking like, oh, you know what, this album needs like one more mid-tempo track. It's just a, it's a total paradigm shift away from that process. Like Damon said in that same, that French interview, he has a quote, I, I wrote it down. It's exciting because you can go anywhere. You can decide what you want the project to be brand new every time and that's like the spirit that made these songs kind of so fun and crazy and the result is that you get an album that maybe feels a little bit like you have 
like demon days and D sides kind of all rattling around inside of a giant sack of gorillas gifts. It does feel a lot more like a G sides or D sides esque compilation than it does a proper gorillas studio album. That's a, a feeling that I couldn't shake while listening to it. Yeah, I think that in some ways, thinking about this material in terms of this package, you know, Strange Times Season One of Song Machine. Like thinking that this whole year was some kind of lead up to a new Gorillaz album, that feels like the wrong way to approach this. It does. It kind of feels detrimental to the material almost. Yeah, like this is like an omnibus, you know, like you've been reading Flash comics all year and then you're like, oh, they put them all out in a paperback. I should get that. I think what we can both agree on is that we really love a lot of these songs. We don't we aren't necessarily in love with them as an album. And I and I also think that with the band like entering into this new phase, which again is it's giving us like Hewlett is putting out more material than we've ever gotten. Uh mm-hmm. Damon is clearly like really creatively invigorated and really hungry to like keep going in this direction. If the downside yep. to this new version of Gorillas is that at the end of each season we get like a cool record, but maybe a less consistent, less cohesive record than we're used to from the project to me i think that's more than a fair trade i'm not just saying that i'm like i mean that i think that this is a better and more rewarding way to do gorillas like right now than if they were doing a traditional album cycle again and i agree with you by this point i feel like we've gotten enough like capital a albums from gorillas that i'm fine with them just kind of sticking to this release strategy for a while and getting these just kind of compilations of individual tracks from them. Fuck yeah. Let's let's get into those individual tracks that may or may not be part of a thematically consistent whole. Well, first let's talk about our relatives because I've really been looking forward to hearing yours. Oh yeah, me too. I'm I'm very excited to hear what you came out with. I want to see where we are we're similar and where we're different. Cool. Why don't you give me yours first? I went with compilated. That speaks to what we were just talking about. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I went with gradational. I've I've noticed that there's so many kind of like slow burns and gradual ramp ups on this record. So it's like, you know, oftentimes these are songs that like a dance track are just kind of adding one new element at a time. I thought that was something pretty interesting about the Sonics. And then Trevor, I mean, look, get your blue ribbon ready for best gorillative, uh, because my third gorillative is strange. <laughs> well done. You couldn't resist. And I think it's fair to call it. I mean, first of all, this rollout was very weird. But also, I feel like this this is kind of the Make Gorillas Weird Again record. It's very zany at times. It's also very cartoony. Yeah. Oh, so cartoony. So yeah, those are mine. Compilated, gradational, strange. So my first relative is Untethered, which I feel like speaks a lot to this album not really having a unified concept sure and i think that kind of works like there there are there are positives and negatives to that like as a hardcore album guy i'd say that the product that you get when you assemble these songs into an lp frequently feels disjointed uh but if i were being positive which i'd like to be on this uh on this episode i'd say that it's nice to get a gorillas album that is like unburdened by a concept one in which Damon and his collaborators are free to play in this space without worrying about building something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. 
I think that's I think you're dead on the money there. And I also think Untethered speaks to one of the lyrical motifs here, which is like the degrading mental health of everybody through this whole lockdown. There's so much anxiety and spinning out and all that stuff on this record. Untethered serving a couple of uh, roles there. My my next one is kind of related to that to that too. It's interpersonal. Oh. I think we get a a little taste of this from a few of the tracks we already talked about. But a lot, a lot of these songs feel specifically sung to other people, and many of them also have a very explicitly romantic angle to them. I feel like Strange Times could almost pass for a breakup album. Because like on the Now Now, there were these ambiguous, is this a romance thing or maybe it's about this? But on this one, it's it's pretty clear. Yeah. And like, I don't know if this was intentional, but I think it's kind of really well timed considering that like as a society, we've recently broken up with our former way of life due, due to the pandemic. There are a lot of lyrics here that express things like, I miss you. I wish I was in the same place as you. Don't forget about me while we're apart. And I think pretty much everyone has recently experienced what it's like both to miss life as we used to know it and to miss other people, even if it's not necessarily in a romantic way. Uh, after all this time, I'm still like kind of unclear about how much of this material was written during the pandemic. But I think even if most of it wasn't, it's ended up being very inadvertently timely. In like a yeah, I think there's definitely way. examples of like stuff that was being written about lockdown and also examples of stuff that really happened to fit lockdown. And my last one speaks to something that I've really enjoyed honing in on with this record. It's harmonious. Huh. I think it's really well established and like everyone can basically agree by this point that each of the previous two Gorillaz albums often felt like they were playing to separate parts of the band's fan base. Sure. Like Humans was more of a celebration of the band as a big collaborative unit, while the Now Now was intentionally more geared towards fans of Damon's songwriting and vocals. What I think is probably Song Machine's greatest strength, actually, is that the space allotted to Damon's role in the group and the space allotted to the featured guests feels as well-balanced as it has since maybe Demon Days. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think that that this does the like plastic beach circus of of stars thing in a very tastefully implemented way. Yeah, like all of the guests uh, feel really vital. They're all they're all given their own time to shine, without ever overshadowing the fact that Damon is holding it down as the center of this big crazy thing. Maybe it's taken like some trial and error to get here, but when it comes to figuring out like what's going to be going on in a gorilla song. I really do think that this album hits like a sweet spot in a way that's really going to result in more satisfied listeners than we've seen in a while. Yeah. God willing, God, God willing that the gorillas fandom does not continue to cannibalize itself. We can't, we can't go on like this. We need something to bring us together. And I we think this is the album together. to I think do it. A, yeah. I think it's a very, I think it's a very, very solid attempt at that. It also speaks to something else that I was thinking about, which this does to me feel like the plastic beach of the post-reunion era of records. I mean, the parallels are pretty clear. It's roughly the same length. There's like an abundance of collaborators. And then where Plastic Beach had this like, let's say at times overbearing conceptual bent, 
where, you know, Damon was literally saying, well, you got to mention something like nautical or something on your verse. Uh, this time, the, the overbearing thing is like a distribution model. Like everything ties back to this idea of like, oh, right, these are episodes, right? So it does kind of feel like in some ways the mirror image on this side of the reunion. But I remember a lot of people feeling like when Plastic Beach came out, like that he'd gone a little too far with the collaboration. You know, there were a couple songs early on in that record that didn't feature Damon at all. And a lot of people just felt like he was kind of missing from that record. Here, I don't think people are going to be dealing with the same problem. He's very careful about it. Yeah. He's very careful about it. <laughs> like I said, it. trial and error, he's clearly learned his lesson. Somebody must have taken such a shit on humans about Damon not being on it, and he must have read it. Yeah. That it that it just burned something into his brain forever now. Like if you were one of those people on some Discord server talking about how gorillas is bad now, just think you might be the reason for all of this. Yeah, it might have it might have been you, random Reddit poster. Okay, let's get into these songs, shall we? Because there's seventeen of them. Let's finally talk about all seventeen of these Song Machine season one tracks, starting with the title track of this first season. Strange times. So Dylan, this one features Robert Smith, of course, from the legendary alternative goth post-punk band, The Cure. It's also got a couple other uh, fun little personnel notes that I wanted to walk you through. Hit me. So along with Remy and Damon, who are credited as the producers on all tracks, Robert Smith gets a producer and writer credit on this one. Also here and throughout, uh, little Samuel Eglinton, who you may remember as the the production assistant who rung the bell on We Got the Power. Yeah, sure. He's no longer just a production assistant. He is now a full-fledged engineer. Oh, Sammy, Sammy boy. Proud of him. Who says there's no upwards mobility in capitalism, Trevor? Not me. (laughs) Also, the trumpet on this song was played by Damon Auburn's nine-year-old niece, Etta Auburn, to loan. Wow, Etta wailing on it too, really hitting it. We got two Alburns on this track. And the and the architect of goth subculture is here too. Yeah. Really, <laughs> really cool to see Robert Smith on a gorilla's track. I'm a big fan of the cure, so like of course I was thrilled to see him pop up. Uh I, I really like like his vocals on this song are really great and they're a really good example of this cool thing he can do with his voice where he kind of swallows and chokes on and gargles his vowels yeah like he sings strange times yeah i also like how much this song reminds me of what's always been my favorite era of the cure like in between their early days as a post-punk band and the period in which they really broke through as an alternative rock band they made a couple of like really weird poppy dancey singles like the walk and let's go to bed and the love cats and this song sounds like it would fit in right, like really well with the rest of that material. Yeah, like just like maybe updated slightly sonically for the 2020 era. You know, when the track list got announced, Trevor, this 
this as the opener of this record seemed like a real head scratcher to me. Yeah, I gotta say, I didn't get it at all at the time, but listening to it in context of the album, I think it works perfectly. I think it's one of the best Gorillaz album openers. It works really good. I also was kind of not really into this song when it first dropped. Like, I thought it was a little too dense, a little too messy. I didn't quite understand what it was going for. It didn't really come together for me. Um, just about everything about this song has really grown for me, and it's become one of my favorite tracks on this record. Uh, I got to credit Ramona with that, who has been getting, my two-year-old daughter, almost three, who has been getting into gorillas via their videos on YouTube. She often requests this one, and she calls it Gorillas on the Moon. Interesting. Okay. I, I hear NASA's about to make a big announcement about the moon. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe they finally found where Russell's been for all of these videos. Uh, so the first thing that opened up for me are the very good, like, Damon COVID-19 quarantine lyrics. Yeah, my favorite thing about this song is that first Damon verse where he sings about feeling like he's drifted off to sleep and has found himself in a dream. That's really good, and it really sets the tone for the rest of the record, I think. For sure, and I love the kind of going crazy in lockdown imagery, like cutting the grass with scissors. Uh, and once I kind of realized that, you know, spinning around the world at night it was referring to lying in bed awake, thinking about the world, your head spinning, It, it this the whole song really opened up for me. Like, you're talking to a guy who has had several of them at this point, this sounds like a quarantine panic attack to me. Yeah, I mean, that is like the exact vibe that's being hit here. And I think they capture it really well. The plinky piano, the density, the shuffling beat. It's just like your heart's racing and racing. And then like two minutes in, the drop happens and like, whoa, right? Face melting. It's a really dynamic, really slickly produced one. My favorite element of the beat is probably... Those horns, that trumpet played by Damon Alburn's nine-year-old niece. She kills it. It's really good. It sounds so, like, spooky and textural. Somebody else is killing it here, and they're not credited the personnel. But one of my favorite details in, like, the big maximal ending run of this song is that somebody's just wailing on a triangle in that mix. It's a really dense mix, and there's, like, a lot going on during that part. I really like the piano that you can hear at, like, certain times. It really sounds Definitely. like it's from, like... A Chicago dance track or something, maybe like leftover from humans. Yeah, I I think this is a really cool one, and I was I was completely wrong. I think it's it's the best way to start this record off. Yeah, you and I had a very similar experience with this song. It sounds like didn't really get it at first, but now it has definitely grown to be one of my favorite tracks on the album. It's a hit, boys! It's a hit. Really good opener. We're off to a good start. Let's move on to track two, Valley of the Pagans. Welcome to the land of the permanent sun with the melted and the future is fun the freeway lizards are my feelings so good on the one-way trip back to west hollywood let's go this song features grammy award-winning weirdo and former scientologist beck it's also got another auburn on it damon auburn's 22 year old nephew rudy auburn who plays drums that brings the total count of auburns on this record up to three wow <laughs> just a progeny. I mean, when you're in lockdown and you can't get your usual sessioners, you got to just start turning to the kids, right? You got to keep it in the family. 
This one's also, again, really cool. This one leaked before the album came out. That was kind of controversial at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, but this version that we got on this record, like, what a banger. I, I just can't imagine asking or hoping for anything more from a Beck versus Gorilla, Gorillaz collaboration. Yeah, I think the fan base has been, like, speculating what a Gorillaz and Beck collaboration would sound like for, like, well, like 15 years now, probably. And this is like essentially what I've always imagined we'd get if such a thing were to ever happen. You get two of pop music's preeminent white boy talk rappers just <laughs> trading verses with each other. What a dream. It's perfect. It feels like it would it would be equally at home on either the Now Now or Beck's Midnight Vultures. Uh, sure. Which is sure. his record from 1999 where he kind of like did a lot of send-ups to like Prince and weird sexualized dance music and white boy soul and funk. In fact, I think my favorite thing about this song is that Damon got back back into Midnight Vultures mode. And like considering he's like 20 years older than he was on that record, I don't think he can quite do it like he used to. So the performance isn't like quite as unhinged, but it's still a lot of fun and like a real highlight on the record, I think. And the chemistry is really good. Oh yeah. Beck is sounding a lot more vital than he has on his own past several records to me. I really like his cadence on uh, on lines like uh, hemophiliac with a dying battery life. Really good. Yeah, there's a lot of classic Beck imagery on this, like Schadenfreude eyes. There's a clever thing going on here lyrically where there's a lot of like global warming dystopian imagery, you know, permanent sun and melting flowers and bees that have gone underground. There are uh, a lot of, there are also a lot of lyrics like taking stabs at like LA culture and stuff. Yeah, and all of those global warming things double as traits of LA. You know, the summer is kind of all year round. The drought, of course, melts all the flowers. You know, Trevor, California is where the hybrid crops are made, and if we commit to saving the environment, we <laughs> breaks in a cover of Song 2 by Blur. We're cross-pollinating because we're in LA. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this song might be when Damon sings 100 million Viagra tablets. My favorite little detail here, Trevor, is when Damon goes, untainted dreams, etc. and forever, I hope, said, said no, no one. one. And then that little, like, reedy, flanged out synth goes like, wow. <laughs> It's really really good. good. It's a really fun track. What do you think of Beck's ad libs during the outro? Because those weren't in the leaked version. Killer. I think that they're. I I, I like the whole outro run of this song, first of all. Mm -hmm. I think this groove has like a real remain in light thing to it, you know, where it's always so solidly coming back to that like root, funky note. I also think that the boys sound real good on this hook. They're both singing that hook together. Uh, feels so good to have a perfect song. It's really good. Yeah, I like think. you said, they have really good chemistry on this one. I'm also a big fan of the ad libs. I really like when he says, I'm on a cleanse. But <laughs> I, I do think the line, the hot tub is pretty chill, is kind of weak. I would have uh, I would have preferred to see Beck refer to something as lit instead of chill. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't have been bad. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, yeah. th- this vape pen is really lit, for that example. That would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. In a world where Strange Times is like a regular album, I could easily see this as a lead single choice. Yeah, I'm surprised it took them like, what, like six or seven songs to put this one out, because I do think it is scheduled to be the next video release, right? Well, maybe that makes sense, because it's the single that's out when the album's out, so maybe you're driving some more uh, some more clicks. I could see that as a as a good strategy. 
I also want to call out that great bridge melody towards the end. In the valley where you wake up every beautiful day. I can't I can't put my finger on what it reminds me of. It reminds me of something. That's probably my favorite vocal run on the song. It's really good. Maybe it's a little Devo-ish. Possibly. Yeah, I could see that. But there's a zaniness and a joy here that feels very vintage gorillas to me. I, I'm just, I'm a big fan of this one. Vintage gorillas and vintage Beck. Two great tastes that taste great together. <laughs> Let's talk about a different taste entirely on the Lost Chord. I see rains coming down At this time of year I'm always in need of A silent way The pulse on your face Yes, the Lost Chord featuring Lee John, best known as the lead singer of the soul band Imagination, which had three UK top 10 hits in the early 1980s. I recommend their hit, Just an Illusion. That's a, that's a banger. I listened to that uh, this week, and it's, it's very good. The song also features production, drums, and guitar from one James Ford. Hey! Who, as we said on the previous episode, also produced Aries and Desolai. There's enough James Ford material here that I think we can write off the idea that that these are now now leftovers. Uh, I would agree. It's it's cool to see that he really did legitimately break the Gorillas producer curse. I know, I know. Not a not a nasty word has sent his way from David Albarn at this point. What do you think of this song though? Because I think it's like solidly middle of the pack for me, but I still really enjoy it a lot. This one has been one of the big growers for me on this record. I, I would have put it like towards the middle at the beginning, like right dab, smack dab in it, in fact. It's it's climbed for me. There's stuff that I'm really starting to dig my teeth into here. I think overall the vibe is very late 1980s sophistipop, you know, like, like Sade or Phil Collins-y, you know? Yeah, that- it kind of feels like that mixed with a kind of... 70s blue eye soul david bowie circa young americans kind of thing totally. especially when especially when it comes to damon's vocals he is so soulful on this track very soulful and that synth flute is like the main flavor here and it's really laying on that vibe in my yeah. opinion and that's that's also sophisticated as hell yeah for sure and the bass playing like on this song but also all over this record is so rock solid this is a murdoch nichols record say what you want about murdoch nichols he always turns in a very professional performance and if you think about it what are the big bass lines on the now now ace just didn't turn in that murdoch performance it's good to have him back i agree i think lee john's vocals fit really well in here like his again this is another singer that has really good chemistry with the thing that damon is doing on this song yeah he's laying on those those soulful falsettos he sounds really good damon sounds totally legit pitted against like a legit r&b vocalist he's holding his ground perfectly damon does a really great job all over this record i think there are plenty of instances where it feels like he's really pushing himself and he just succeeds at every turn. I'm really impressed by the guy this time around. Definitely. And and I'm also intrigued just by the concept of a lost chord. I, I wanted to talk to you about the concept of a lost chord because conceptually, that feels like something that would really appeal to a Damon Albarn. Like, it made me think of that lyric in the song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen that goes... I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. That's exactly in my notes, Trevor. I could easily see Damon hearing that lyric and being like, damn, 
I want to play that chord. And I could I could see him using such a thing to write like an entire project's worth of music, much like he used the communist star or whatever to write that monkey opera. Yeah, this is like Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah mon- Monkeys. <laughs> Great. Uh, the element that has grown the most for me is this hook, which I think is just getting better every time I hear this song. You know, the, the the way that you've got that, like, solfo, the lost chord, and then the, I go harder, harder. That's just, like, it's fucking groovy, that dude. It feels like a self-aware lyric about Damon pushing his vocals. Like, it, yeah, I, I believe it, dude. I hear you doing it. It's also, you think about it, on the last song, it feels so good to have a perfect song. And now, talking about the last chord, there's some, like, songwriting about songwriting on this record. It happens in uh, in Aries as well. Yeah, this really does feel like maybe more so than any other Gorilla song, a song about Damon Auburn, the musician. But you know what? Despite the quality of these performances and that grower potential of that hook, for me, the real star here is just the vibe, man. It's just like a mm-hmm. compulsory head nodder of a track, man. I love it. It's a it's a good Gorilla song to just put on and vibe to. I'll be interested to see how Hewlett interprets this, but I'm not in particular like chomping at the bit to see a video for this one. No, like I said, this one's kind of middle of the pack to me. Although I was like super impressed by it the first time I heard it. This isn't one that's needed to grow on me at all. Like I was immediately really into what they were doing on this song. Dope. It's got a big groove. It's got a really good groove. Let's talk about Pac-Man. You can freak me out. You can throw me in the Sure, Pac-Man featuring Schoolboy Q, who's probably the second most popular rapper on the independent record label Top Dog Entertainment after Kendrick Lamar. And he's also a member of the hip-hop supergroup Black Hippie, which also features Kendrick Lamar. They're like buddies. Yeah. A couple other really cool uh, personnel notes on this one. It's got production and backing vocals by Prince Paul. What? Yeah, you may remember him from our De La Soul Three Feet High and Rising episode. Prince Paul's back. How cool Hell is yeah. that? In the absence of a De La Soul song for the last two Gorillaz album, this feels like as good as we're getting right now. That's a good point. It also features bass and keys by a production collective known as Weatherman. That's Weatherman without the without the E in weather. Okay. It's got guitar by John Smythe, who appears to do a lot of work with Miami Christian hip-hop duo Social Club Misfits. Cool. (laughs) And all in all, it's got eight writer credits. So it's like Song Factory, kind of. Yeah, we're doing like pop star numbers now. We're doing like Carly Rae Jepsen numbers now. (laughs) Weird, weird. Because I gotta say, single-wise, this was kind of a big thumbs down for me when it came out. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I didn't care for this one, like, at all when it was first released as a single. It definitely seemed like the least substantial song we'd gotten to that that point. Yeah, for me, it's it's getting a marginal thumb up as an album cut, though. I think it does some some work here as part of this package yeah i didn't really revisit it until my first time hearing the album straight through but when i got to it on the record i actually found myself like quite enjoying it it kind of reminds me a lot of um scott pilgrim which is also about 
living your life from the perspective of a video game character in a leveled world. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. smart. I don't know how I feel in general about Damon's video game songs, because this is kind of his second one, right? Do you remember the first one? No, hit me. Talking, of course, about Hostiles from oh, Jesus. his solo album, which, of course, if you'll remember... Hostiles are what you call the bad game, the bad guys in video games. Motherfucker, I got one more for you. What's that? Mr. Softy's Balloon Race samples <laughs> the music from Balloon Fight for the NES. I guess that makes it a Damon Auburn video game song. <laughs> I, there's still, I still got nitpicks about this one, Trevor. I don't love in general how the verse melody doubles the synth melody. Um... There is something about the fact that they use the same melody for the verse and the synth that makes this song almost like too catchy, which I think ends up being a detriment to it. Like when I'm when I'm not listening to the album, this song has kind of been in my head the entire time. So when I sit down to listen to the album and this one comes up, I'm already sick of it, like, right when it's starting. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. And I think that kind of instrumental and vocal doubling can be cool if it's used more tactically. Like, for example, on Momentary Bliss, they do it on the poster boy, and it's very cool there. It's a cool flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also, I gotta say, I'm still pretty cold on, on Q's feature here. I think for much of this verse, it sounds like he's kind of fighting a losing battle to write this beat i initially felt like that but i i have been warming up to it a bit since spending more time with it on the album i think it's a pretty solid performance and i particularly like the way the beat starts climaxing under him although i guess you can't attribute any of that to him yeah the the production gets really cool under there uh for me it's like okay so he spends the first half of that verse like it almost feels like he's trying to find his vibe on the beat because he, he's doing a lot of like, uh, and a lot of a, you know, just like trying to kind of make sure that he's there on those twos and those fours. He's warming up. It's it's that last stretch of the second verse where it, it really feels like he's struggling to me. That I the I had to hide my stash. I had to clear my dash. You're just like, all right, buddy, all right, buddy. You don't have to. Double I time I disagree it. with you there. I think by the time we get to that part, he's pretty he's pretty on it, and like I'm there with him. Maybe I'll grow into it. Maybe it'll grow from him. I don't know. Give it a few more listens. Maybe you'll change your mind. I personally am still kind of going back and forth on the whole track. Although, I'll settle on saying that it's like a solid album cut. Let me let me pay it a couple of compliments here. I think it's got some really classic, like, first draft, best draft, meaningless Damon lyrics. Like, what's more Damon Albarn in a gorilla song than you can boil my days and tell me I'm not blue? That's like pure... It in front of the microphone, Damon Albarn, Gorilla's lyrics. Something that only makes sense to him. And he gets a few good ones off. You mentioned it already, but I'm a mad Pac-Man living in a leveled world is is very evocative. <laughs> yeah, I like it. And I love that the, this is a weird one, but the main groove reminds me so much of the Gorilla Bites music. Oh, I could see that. Didn't come to mind, but yeah, now that you bring it up. It's very Gorilla Z. Yeah. And probably my favorite element of the song, Trevor, is after that first round of stressing out, stressing out, I love that that very Baroque, very Bachy bass line that starts happening. The doom, doom, doom. Very good. I love that. 
I'm also a big fan of Damon's delivery on this one. I like the lower register kind of breath, breathy voice that he sings in. We don't often hear that, but I think it works well on this track. Most of all, though, I think I love the way that this song stops, like on a dime with the little Pac-Man dying sample sound. I think it's just a great, colorful, wacky way to end a colorful, wacky gorilla song. Yeah, it's nice that they include a sample that actually does like give a shout out to the actual video game that's being referenced. So yeah, Pac-Man, you know, middle of the pack, but I'm giving you a pass. You did a good job. When it comes to songs about video games, I'm not sure that Damon Auburn is Alana Del Rey, but it's okay. <laughs> and we're not really talking about videos on this episode, but I do want to say great video for Pac-Man. I missed this one, but I will go back and check it out, considering you're a fan. You better. I'm a fan of this next song, Chalk Tablet Towers. Chalk Tablet Towers Like drawing shadows This features St. Vincent, aka Annie Clark, an indie pop singer, songwriter, and guitarist who's kind of established herself as one of the genre's big mainstream crossovers over the past 10 years or so, I think. Gotta say, it's kind of right there with Pac-Man for me, a little bit lower in the pack for me. Yeah, well, Annie, Annie gets a writing and vocal credit on this one. She also plays keyboards, but not guitar, which kind of surprised me. The guitar is credited to Gorillaz. And it also might be worth noting that she gets an engineer credit, but no producer credit. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure what that means either. That stuff's always so confusing, how that breaks down. I, I could have used more of her here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, she does kind of hang out in the background of this song, but I do like the vocals that she contributes. And like I said, I was surprised to find that she plays synths on the song instead of guitar. It almost feels like kind of a wasted opportunity to get St. Vincent on your song and not have her, like, shred a little. But I guess guitar is kind of like a, it's kind of rarely a prominent instrument in the band's music. So I guess it makes more sense in this instance. I actually quite like this song. Like, I like this one a lot. Uh, I, it was like an immediate favorite for me. It has since kind of been overtaken by other songs. So it's not really at the top of the pack anymore. But I think it's like a really great kind of 80s tinged synth pop number. And it's definitely one of the more like playlistable songs on the album for me. I think in some ways it's 2010s as fuck. This this hook here, the uh 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 oh, uh, that's the most like millennial pop thing that's ever happened on a gorilla song. It's pretty adjacent to the millennial whoop, is it not? Yeah, it's very adjacent to the millennial whoop, and and I and the autotune that's being implemented on Damon's vocals here is also kind of pushes it more in that direction, you know? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so here's a couple of problems for me. Uh, the groove like bounces back and forth between these two chords and there's lots of flourishes, but it all kind of just washes together for me. It's kind of, the groove is very indistinct to me. Uh, and then there's my favorite part of the song is that first pre-chorus, the I want to get drunk, I want to get stoned. I wish that was just the hook. I wish that that was just the hook of this song. I definitely wouldn't mind that. That is also my favorite part of the song. I do think a lot of fans are going to love this one, though. I, I think that, like, you know, there's a sizable crossover between, like, the Gorillaz fandom and say the uh, the 21 Pilots fandom or whatever just I think young Gorillaz fans are going to really respond to this one basically that feels possible yeah I also want to say that this is like the first song on the album that feels like it really leans into the interpersonal themes on the record like it's probably most easily interpreted as like a fairly straightforward love song about wanting to be with someone that you can't be with right now 
And the, the next couple songs also stick pretty close to that theme. I would say this is where this collection of songs really starts to feel like a quote unquote album. Yeah, I agree with that. And I and I have a theory about why things have gotten so romantic on this record. Okay, hit me with it because I, I've been interested in hearing what you think about that whole vibe considering what a big part of the record it plays. My hypothesis, call it a headcanon, call it whatever you want, is that Damon spent much of this quarantine isolating separately from Susie Wynn Stanley, his like partner of many years. I think they've been together for like 20 years. Um, when quarantine started, Damon went to Devon, which is where his parents live, and he built this studio inside of a barn. And he said, like, you know, this is an, uh, this is scary and it's it's awful, but it's also an incredible opportunity to be productive. And uh, you can see that barn. You can see he, in when he did Aries on Kimmel, you can see that converted loft of that barn. Uh, you can also see it in that live stream he did for the boiler room of his, like, Icelandic-inspired song suite, The Nearer the Fountain, The More Pure the Stream. So my suspicion is that... Based on a lot of these lyrics, I think Susie and the kids stayed in London uh, at the house on Portobello Road, and Damon went off into the countryside to like produce, 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 and he was feeling lonely with his family. I've also I've seen some girls fans like kicking that around as a theory. I know that's like pretty well established by this point. I it feels like to me like considering all of his experience with going on tours and like heading into the studio at like different intervals of his life. Damon feels like somebody who would be accustomed to being away from his partner but for lockdown long is stretch so of different. Time. But lockdown is so different because you have no stimulus. It is, it is, which I, which is what I feel like gives credence to that theory. And it is what makes the most amount of sense to me. Um, but yeah, this is a cool one. It's very poppy. I was hoping for more from that that St. Vincent feature, but uh, it is what we got. and it's And it's definitely like a pop highlight here. Yeah, like I said, an early favorite for me and still one of the tracks from the record that I really, really, really enjoy. I could see returning to this one quite frequently. I miss Gary Gargoyle on a chalk tablet tower. Is that anything? It works. It works. Let's talk about this next song, though, because this feels like a really big one. The Pink Phantom. You've more or less forgotten me this summer And I can't hide my disappointment this one features uh, Black, an Atlanta-based rapper, singer, and songwriter, whose real name is Ricardo Valdez Valentine Jr., and Elton John, one of the best-selling musical artists of all time. Yup. Elton John doesn't have a writer credit, which I guess means Damon wrote his part, but both he and Gorillaz get piano credits, so apparently Damon or 2D and Elton were are, are really trading off on the keys here just like in the music video. It's interesting that Damon uh, starts off the last verse in Chalk Tablet Towers by saying, I won't be back till end of summer. Will you still be there? And then he starts this song by saying, you've more or less forgotten me this summer. I also have that in my notes. Yeah, it really feels like it lends the album some much needed cohesion, doesn't it? It does, for sure. This is another one that didn't leave me feeling super impressed when it first dropped as a single. I kind of just like maybe brushed it off as a novelty, like... Oh, Elton John on a Gorillaz track. That's that's big. That's cool. Maybe because I'm not like the biggest fan of piano ballads. That might have been why it didn't really grab me. But it's definitely grown on me as I've continued to hear it on the album. And now it feels like a real highlight 
and maybe even the centerpiece of the whole record. I think it's the centerpiece of this record for sure, if such a centerpiece exists. I I loved this one when it dropped, and it's only gotten bigger and better for me. I, th I think it's a real good one. Uh, can I talk to you about the Phantom 5? Yeah, sure. The Rolls-Royce Phantom 5, Trevor, it was this luxury car. I guess it was technically a limousine, not a stretch limousine, but, you know, like a window between the driver and the back seat. You often hear it get mentioned in, like, hip-hop songs by rappers. Yep. It, probably its biggest claim to fame was that John Lennon commissioned in his lifetime two highly customized one. Uh, Didn't he, like, immediately crash one or something? So he fucked one up, and then once they fixed it, he's like, I want it rebuilt. And so what he wanted was an all-black one, even the wheels. He asked Rolls-Royce to even make the radiator black, and they said that they couldn't. Uh, and then in 1977, he gave that one away to charity and commissioned a new all-white one. Okay, I mean, that seems like something John Lennon would do. So he literally says, Damon says on this, I was I was there in the Phantom Five, the one you gave away. And I love the I I love to imagine that like 2D <laughs> decided to scoop up that John Lennon donated one and make it all pink. Oh yeah, that would be that's that's a fun little headcanon. Something that struck me uh, when I was thinking about like Phantom and what that and what rappers usually mean when they say that. When, when Black first mentions the Phantom, I immediately interpret that as him talking about a Rolls Royce. But when Elton John sings about a Phantom later on in the track, I get the impression that he's singing about an actual Phantom, like a ghost, yeah. like the or Phantom like, in the Opera. Or like, you know, just something that you're haunted by emotionally, even. I haven't come to anything that feels like a significant conclusion about that disconnect, but I do think it's kind of funny. I want to go out and say I'm super on Team Black here. I think he does a great job. I love this melody he found. I find myself humming it often. Uh, it's coming down the street. I really like it. The main reason why I think these three performances, the, the Damon, the Black, and the Elton, belong on this song together... And also the main thing that I love about this song, Trevor, we mentioned how there's some songs about songwriting on here. I think in an oblique way, in like a 69 love songs way, I've come to see that Pink Phantom is kind of a song about love songs. And all three of these dudes are covering the same topic, like an asymmetrical feeling of longing, you know? You're sad about this person, they don't seem to give a shit about you. Uh, but they, but each of the dudes, they form a spectrum on how to approach that topic from, like, completely direct to extremely ornate. So, like, Black, he's the emotional literist. He's bluntly exposing his feelings. You forgot, and that makes me feel like no one. Wait, I got so many examples of all the good times we have. It's like very conversational English. Mm -hmm. Then Damon's verses, like they straddle the middle of that spectrum. They're communicative, but they have like these little poetic flourishes to them. You know, yep. I was on my way in the Phantom Five. Seems to me I'm in a dream behind these summer lines. And then Elton John pushes things like all the way into like high camp, like over the top theatricism you he know he gets like, real metaphorical with it yeah i i tried to get to atlanta on a peach blossom highway and like in a sky made of diamonds where the world felt silent it's just so cool to me that there's like these three very different approaches to this single topic 
I think you and I were both a little surprised to find out that Damon wrote Elton John's part because they they feel like Elton John lyrics written by what's what's the guy's name? Bernie Taupin. Yeah, Bernie Taupin. I wonder if that was an exercise that Damon kind of set for himself to perform. Like, let me try and write some Elton John lyrics because he really did nail it on the head. It really feels like a, a perfect style pastiche of that, like Jesus freaks out in the street. That Bernie Taupin style, you know. The lyrics on this one are really good. Uh, I particularly like that we get another reference here to feeling like you're in a dream. That feels like a throwback to the opening of Strange Times. Totally. I did want to talk a little bit about Black's part on the song, because I know that was like very polarizing and kind of negatively received by a like a decent and visible chunk of the Gorillaz fan base. Right. I initially wasn't blown away by what he's doing on this track. I have really like grown to appreciate the role he plays on the song. I do think there's a problem with him though, and I think the problem is that actually he's underutilized. Like, once Elton John shows up, it pretty much becomes the Damon and Elton show for the rest of the track, up until the very end when they finally throw some black back in. But by that point, I've kind of forgotten he's been on the song, and I can practically hear him saying, like, hey guys, I'm here too, which is, like, a little distracting and kind of detracts from my experience with the track, although it is something that, like, I'm finding bothers me less and less as I continue to listen to it. I gotta say, I don't agree. I To me, Damon is the one who fades into the... the the background on this for me not not at all for me and i think it's unfortunate because there's this big semi-instrumental stretch right in the middle of the song which is just some like piano noodling and damon like doing some wordless vocals and harmonizing a bit and i think that letting black do something during that part would go a long way towards helping him feel like he gets the same amount of spotlight as the other two vocalists so that it doesn't feel like he's just showing back up at the last minute after having ducked out of the rest of the track Maybe maybe he seems like more of a player to me because that back section when everybody starts trading off with each other that's like my favorite part of this song. It's it, to me it's a real accomplishment the way that they're that they're handing off with one each other. That's also my favorite, but there's again something that bugs me there. It feels like his earlier part of the song has been copy and pasted into that section whereas Damon and Elton are both kind of like those are new vocal parts for them. I wouldn't have minded if, if, if Black had something a little different in that part. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. It definitely like doesn't really bother me that much anymore. And again, this is one of my favorite songs on the record. My favorite Damon move here is that very, like, th- his own little theatrical, in a dream. Yes, very that's good. really good. That's one thing that I keep coming back to on this song for sure. I also love the backing vocal that comes in during that last part where they're all handing off and kind of takes it through to the outro. The that's really really cool. That's a cool mm-hmm. piece of texture. And again, Elton John like just showing up is one of my favorite moments on the record too. I tried to get to Atlanta, like he just like kind of bursts through and it's really good. Pure burlesque. The emotions are so kind of churned up to eleven. Real good performance from the dude. It's it's fitting that this is the Elton John song. It's also the first of this album's like oddly many piano outros. Uh one of the more understated, weird considering that it's Elton, but it's a little bit like almost like a runaway esque piano thing that we end on this with this song. Um, I'm gonna keep track though. Piano outros number one. Didn't like Damon say he was particularly like writing a lot of piano ballads for the album, like during the lead up to it. I remember a quote like that flying around. Good Paul. 
Yeah, so I mean, he's made good. Next up, we've got the first song that we've already talked about on this program, uh, Aries, featuring Peter Buck and Georgia. I'm looking out at a volcano, trying to read the world today. So we're not going to like go super in-depth. If you want to know how we feel about this song on the whole, you should go back and listen to our last episode, the live stream Song Machine Part 1 or whatever. Yeah, I talked a lot on that episode about how much I love this song, just like purely because Peter Buck is on it, and I think he really helped transform this into what feels like a classic gorilla song. And my affection for this one has only grown since then. In fact, I feel pretty confident calling it my second favorite song on the record. Hey, Trevor Top 3 just just popped in. Number two, Aries. It's a good one. I want to talk a little bit about what it does on this record, um, both good and bad. I, I think that this is the worst transition on a Gorillaz album to date. Pink Phantom into Aries is sounds like nonsense to me. Yeah, and I also have mixed feelings about the two songs like just being so close together at all. Like, they have very similar flavors that it almost feels redundant to have them right next to each other. Although, ultimately, I think they end up feeling just different enough to feel like good companion pieces. Sure, so I, sure. I, I won't complain too much about it. And Aries is contributing, in my opinion, like a pretty important flavor to this, like, big, wild smoothie of an album. Because you've got, you know, you got your campiness, you've got your wackiness, you've got your warmth, your sorrow. This is like a more of an icy, gently melancholic new wave thing. And that's like a nice grounding little pinch of salt to kind of bring out some of the flashier things that are around it, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, canonically, this was the first of the COVID songs. It's got that little bit at the end of the video where 2D's got a mask on. And he's like, wash your hands and stuff like that. Uh, it does have one line on it that in the wake of the rest of this album feels like it's uh, really lends to that that whole theory about Susie being in, in London and Damon being in Devon so he can work on music when he sings, I feel so isolated without you. I can't play a happy tune on my own. I feel like I swore I read on the Wikipedia page that the title track was the first song to be recorded after the pandemic struck. Uh, it, it could be. I'm still so unclear on that. I wish I had like a stronger grip on it. Whether or not we're talking about artists intent or just things you can read in, I do think it's interesting how this like still continues to to lend into this run, this Chocolate Bullet Towers, into Pink Phantom, now into Aries. You know, also keeping up this motif of songs about songwriting. Yeah, and like both of those consistencies really do a lot to help make this feel like a full album experience. Definitely. Um, let's talk about another one we already talked about. Yeah, and up next we've got Friday 13th featuring Octavian. I've been drinking and smoking too much. That shit damages. Give me a lot, I can do it myself. I can manage it. Two signs, I gotta leave. You know how it is You and me, we can take on the world We can be savages Hey, just as soon we crack Dylan's top three This is my number three on the album I remember this one being your favorite of those four or five that we talked about last time, so I'm not surprised to see you wind up there. I'm also still a really big fan of this one. It remains an absolute favorite of the Song Machine Project for me. Not to repeat myself, but I think Octavian just finds the most incredible tone here, contrasting these kind of, like, you know, cocaine-addled lyrics with such warmth. Uh, 
I really love the way that that soft guitar line at the end kind of feels like it's quoting the little Peter Hook vibe from Aries. So that makes these two feel like they kind of belong together to me. I've also really fallen in love with this whole, uh, you know, it was probably my least favorite element when we reviewed it last time, but I've really come to love this this less is more Damon outro, the it's a beautiful day. It's a really interesting place for this thing to come to a rest to me. Yeah, I wanted to say two new things about this song. The first is asking you, when Damon sings It's a Beautiful Day, do you think of you too? Like, does Bono and the gang have enough of a monopoly on that phrase in 2020 for your brain to instantly associate it with them? You know what? It probably should have, but no, until you said it just now, it had never occurred to me. It definitely doesn't sound like he got on his leather pants to record it. <laughs> yeah, he's not going full Bono. Second thing is, I, I, it didn't strike me as interesting when this song first dropped because we didn't have the context, but now I find it very fascinating that Octavian's lyrics specifically mention pagans. Which, of course, brings to mind that Beck collab. Weird. Like we, Weird. We obviously haven't heard anything about it. But do you think Damon had like a little spiel about pagans or something that he told the collaborators when bringing them on board? It would not shock me because, you know, pagan imagery, of course, was very, very big in that Good, the Bad, the Queen record, Maryland. Oh, yeah. You know, he kind of seems to see it as indicative of like the artistic soul of the UK. Would not shock me if he was babbling about pagans to the collaborators. It's just an interesting word to see wind up from two different collaborators on two entirely different tracks. No doubt, no doubt. Maybe he maybe he forced everybody to dance the maple with him. <laughs> maybe. This will stop Brexit. Uh, this is the second piano outros on this song, and I it's one of the best ones. Sunny, but like melancholic, just like that beautiful day motif. The so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm still a big fan of pretty much everything about this song. Everything about it musically, all of the vocal choices that the guys are making. It's, it's a really good one. Let's talk about a complicated song. I'm glad you chose to introduce it that way. Next up, we've got Dead Butterflies. When was I supposed to? This one features grime rapper Kano, with whom Gorillaz last collaborated with on White Flag from Plastic Beach. I think that's the last time we heard of Kano on a Gorilla song, right? Well, unless you count the times that he's guested on Clint Eastwood most recently, I think, in Margate for the Demon Days Festival. Yeah, I was just talking about records, but that is true. It also features Roxani Arias, who I couldn't find anything online about, except for the fact that she seems to be from the UK. She's a complete unknown. This is like your okay. Imani Vonsha or your Brandon Markel Holmes from Human. This is just plucking somebody out of obscurity. Interesting. Very cool. Uh, although I think the most exciting, for me at least, collaboration on this song is the fact that it was produced by trap music extraordinaire Mike Will Made It, <laughs> along weird. with his frequent collaborator Maserati. He even gets the tag in there. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Both of them, too. The Mike Will Made It and the new drummers. Yeah. He gets a, Mike gets a drum programming credit on it, and uh, some dude with zero other listed credits on anything named Daryl 
Rel Gale gets an engineer credit and a writing credit. So maybe Roxanne isn't the only total unknown on this song. Weird that he would get a writing credit. I wonder what he did. Come on the show. I don't know. Yeah, come on the show, Daryl or Rel, whatever you want us to call you. Unfortunately, though, this is probably my least favorite song on the album. Like, if I were really coming down hard on this LP for feeling disjointed and directionless, I would accuse this song of being like a microcosm of that. I like parts of it, but nobody really feels like they're on the same page here. And as a result, the disparate elements never really feel like they congeal in a way that they do on the other songs. I don't even know where to start with this one, Trevor. <laughs> there, are, there are two things that I think ultimately salvage it. There's Damon's vocals, which, like on the Lost Chord, he's going really soulful here. It sounds like he's really pushing himself, but he totally pulls it off, and I think he sounds great. And then there's just, like, the sheer absurdity of hearing those Mike Will producer tags on a Gorilla's <laughs> song. Like, it's extremely hilarious to me. It's it's a very weird thing to have happened. You know, he was supposedly, he had worked on something that got scrapped for the Now Now. Okay. Um, I'm wondering, is it possible that this is carried over production from that? Or, or did they get along so well that he was like, come try again? I don't know if they got along well, because I thought that we learned that Mike Will, like, had worked with the band from a clip of him kind of shit-talking them? Do you no, this? no, this was Mike Dean. For That was Mike Dean. Okay, I got the two guys mixed up. Yeah, for, for Momentary Bliss. There was a yeah. clip of Mike Dean where he was like on a stream listening to like beats or something, and the guy he was with was like, this kind of sounds like Gorillaz thing, doesn't it? He's like, man, I just worked with Gorillaz, and this is better than that. <laughs> I thought it was Mike Will, but it's Mike Dean. Apologies. Mike Dean's talented. He can talk shit about whoever he wants. Uh... Uh, what? Where do I start here, man? I mean, I let's start with that Damon vocal. Who? Who'd have guessed? Who'd have guessed that he had this in him? It, you know, old dog, new tricks, etc. Like the so many different flavors of soulful too. Like he starts off in this very croaking, like very Womackian place. You know, very yeah, a little bit vulnerable, very soulful. He comes in like full throated. The auto tune is there. He's doing legato, which Damon never does, where he's like, you know, like Mariah Carey or whatever, you know, bending his notes and going up and down and stuff. It's got pretty good imagery. I like the idea of dead butterflies who are like waiting for the low tide to pick them up. The hook is serviceable, but not stand out. Uh, mm -hmm. I supposed to? It's good. It, it does its job. The beat is the problem here for me. It's too sparse. It's, you know, it's 808s, it's twinkly pianos, and for most of the song, that's kind of it. Mike Will made it, but I wish he'd made it better, Trevor. Good one. I think there are two steps you could take to improve this song. Uh, the first would be ditching Kano's verse. Like, I really like Roxani's feature here well enough, but Kano just doesn't do a good job of fitting in on the track. I don't think his part really contributes anything of value to the song. I have a theory. Okay, what's that? Probably the worst part on this whole album for me is the handoff from the end of Roxani Arias' feature to the start of Kano's verse. Kano comes in like a meter early. He comes in like where one meter before the the resolve and the start over and it doesn't sound like he's doing like an, a ramp up like a uh uh here we go you know he's not doing that he just comes in full uh all the way in and the you know the beat it doesn't gear shift at all the beat they add like this tiny little 
chorusy pad underneath him, but it does not lift the performance up at all. Kano is flowing with an energy, Trevor, that smacks of, to me, like he recorded this for a different beat, and this got copy-pasted onto the song. That, that idea frequently crossed my mind while preparing for the episode would not surprise me in the slightest. That yep. is exactly what it sounds like. And I mean, he's lyrically, he's doing solid enough work here. I, the line that stands out the most to me is like, loose evidence and news trending, effortlessly truth bending, who's treacherous? Like, that's not bad. If I've gone on the record in the past as a guy who's got some issues with white flag, I will still take that kind of zany Kano over this like grounded, serious Kano on a gorilla song. Yeah, it just it just doesn't impress me. The other thing that I think you could do to improve this song, I know you were talking a bit about the beat being a little too sparse, but I think it would actually improve if you waited to bring the drums in until Roxani showed up, so that the first minute or so would just be Damon and the piano, and then the drums kick in at the same time that Roxani comes in, and then kind of we get the white flag effect where the drums are still going when Damon comes in doing his thing, and now everything feels like it's in place, and like... The song has gone on a bit of a dynamic journey. 100% Trevor. What a, what a good idea. Trevor Ickrath is available for season two to come in and help with these decisions. Let me do it. I mean, you, with the way things gone, I wouldn't be expecting to work with the band again. But I think I could really lend a hand for like at least one season. Howlyoumonkeys at gmail.com. <laughs> Hit us up. Damon, we know you're listening. Things, Trevor, for me, massively improve when Damon comes back in. The beat yeah. adds this little G-Funk synth underneath and some, like, woo backing. And, like, Damon starts getting this delay effect added onto his voice. The dude sounds like a fucking club R&B king, man. Like, making babies to David Albar performances all night long, Trevor. It does like real. I think it like I want to say it gets there by the end for sure, but I just don't know if it's worth the journey. Listen, I think it's a mess. I think the production is is wrongheaded, and yet I gotta admit that I ultimately kind of dig this one. I'm a simple Gorillas fan, Trevor. I see, I see sexy Damon, and I pull the lever. That's all I need. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes that's all it takes. Piano outro is number three. A very good piano outro. I dare say a little like Turner-esque. It's got some twinkly wildness going on there. Yeah, that feels like a fair point of comparison. Uh, let's go back to one we've already talked about, though. Desolate. is Desolée featuring Patamata Dayawara, another one we've already talked about. My current opinion is still pretty consistent with the ones I divulged on our previous episode, but I don't I don't love it as a penultimate track here. I think it's kind of weird that the first songs released from the project were all squeezed onto the second half of the record. Agreed. I don't like it here either. I don't think it's a good like pre-conclusion catharsis uh, 
I still like it. I still think it's a really solid song machine cut. It also has not really grown for me in any meaningful way, except for maybe now because of the rest of these songs, I'm a little bit more willing to, to view these lyrics in a, you know, more literal romantic context than I was at the time. Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like a Jamie Hewlett song anymore. I haven't mentioned it yet. Warner Records was awesome and sent us a copy of this record in advance, Trevor. Thank you, Warner and Parlophone. That was very cool getting this thing on Monday. And along with it, here's a real treasure. They fucking sent us the complete lyrics of this thing. Yeah, so we no longer have to rely on the fake English sound-alike translated ones from Genius. I get to sing along with Fatumara and go, Very cool. I saw that they were on Genius, too, so if you're curious, you can go look them up now. I gotta say, this is not the version of the song that I wish was on here. I wish it was the single version. I don't like that extended outro that we get at all. I think that a much stronger way for this song to end is when Fatumata hits that big note, you know? Like, just stop there for me. I'm fine with having the extended one on the record. It didn't even... It took me a while to remember that there were two versions of this song and then even to, like, think about which one this was. But, like, checking the timestamp, like, immediately made me realize this was the extended one. I think it's fine. To me, that climactic vocalization that Fatumata does is such a good mic drop that, like, it just kind of ruins it to bring everything back in after a pause there. Yeah, I don't know if it loses too much uh, from me for going on longer than that, but I could see why you would feel that way. Desolate, you're still in the cool club, though. Don't worry about it. Solid mid-album cut, I think. Mm -hmm. Next up, uh, the final track on the standard version is another one we've already discussed. It's Momentary Bliss featuring Slow Tie and Slaves. We could do so much better than this Motion in your faces and momentary bliss We could do so much better than this Oh, Rita, oh, Rita What else is there to say? It's great. It's really good. I mean... Even with all these other songs, I think this is my favorite song that we've gotten from Song Machine so far, so it's my number one on the album. I do have mixed feelings about it as the final track on the standard edition, but overall I think a high-energy song with a shout-along chorus like this one makes for a pretty satisfying finale. I was pretty confused when I saw that this was going to be the closer, but I see what it's doing here, and I think it's fine in this spot. It's kind of doing the the we got the power thing of like let's burn off some of this 11th hour energy and you know and maybe transition into these bonus tracks and it probably does a slightly better job of that than we got the power did uh but i don't think that necessarily this is the best spot for me it almost feels like they kind of went arranging these tracks they kind of looked at it as maybe like a test run for a live sequencing, like for a concert set list. Because I could see I could see this being a very good concert closer. Oh, I could totally see it as like, or beginning of Encore also would rule yeah. there. Yeah, they, I know in a big part it's because it was the first one we got, but Trevor, this still feels like maybe the signature Song Machine song to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that plays a role in why it's my number one on the record. When everything like ramps up and kicks in during that slow tie verse, come on, man, get that dopamine, man, that dopamine. It's impossible to deny it. Great piano outro. Piano outro's number four. I still love that, like, fun, loose soloing that goes on here. That might be my favorite piano outro on the record. It's a great one. However, the standard edition is for plebs. Fuck the standard edition. Oh, yeah, we're not done. We gotta keep going. We got some bonus tracks to talk about. Some wild things are gonna happen on these bonus tracks, you guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, starting with this first one. 
the what is it seven seven minute long track opium This one features Earth Gang, an American hip-hop duo from Atlanta, comprised of rappers Olu, aka Johnny Venus, and Wow Great, aka Dr. Dot. And it is my number one song of the phase. Nice. That's a that that's a that feels like a good pick. A couple more uh, quick personnel notes here. Uh, production and drum programming uh, is credited to P2J who's also credited as an additional producer on Aries. Kills it. Damon's nine-year-old niece, Etta, comes back, this time as a backing vocalist. Hmm. This one's got another piano outro, but it's not by Damon. It is by Afro-Cuban jazz pianist Roberto Fonseca, who actually has like some interesting gorillas connections. Lay them on me. From 2001 forward, he was the touring pianist of Buena Vista Social Club with Ibrahim Ferraro. Ibrahim Ferraro. Ferraro. Interesting, okay. And he played on Ferrar's uh, 2003 solo album, Buenos Hermanos. Okay, so we got some Phase 1 connections here. Yep, and to speak to some more current collaborators, in 2013, he featured Fatamata Diawara on his album, Yo! And the two would later put out a live EP credited together as a duo, at home, parentheses, live in Marseille. Oh, interesting. It's so it's, yeah, it's like he and Damon are probably the only people who've worked with both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would assume. Dude, come on. Like now, now we're talking, dude. This is my shit, dude. This is, this is wild. You know, it's like a seven minute acid house Chicago jam. Like just going from the length alone, it was one that immediately really fascinated me. And I, I wish it had made the proper record. I think it would have made a great proper album closer. Fuck yeah! In particular, Damon's verse really feels like it's bringing things to a close. Like, especially the lyrics about waking up with someone that you're now closer together with. That feels like a really fitting conclusion to several of the lyrical themes that kind of developed throughout all the songs. And it's the only one that really explicitly thinks about after all of this, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. yeah, I think it would have it would have been perfect. It's so bold. I think it's a masterpiece. This is like a top five gorilla song for me, maybe, dude. Man, it's like a prog house, crazy, you know, barn burner. It's amazing. It's really good, and I think uh, Earth Gang do a really great job on it too. I really love a bunch of the stuff that they that they do on this song, particularly that little "Don't Stop" run, and when he's like shouting out all the different cities. Oh, so good! Feels like classic hip hop dance stuff. Grinding, loving, singing, hugging, living, get it, stack it, run it. So good! What a fucking hook! Really good. Yeah, and you know they actually the, that duo Earth Gang they co-founded this collective called Spillage Village along with Black. So. You know, there's there's some inter-album connections here. Very cool. To me, it's just the build here. You know, you, you you start with the progression. You just have percussion only at first. You got that 808 thumb, the wood blocks, and bongos that are, like, flanged out. You got a little low-pass, like, plinky, so, like, synth arpeggio. And, like, it starts out really far away, and then it comes closer and closer and gets a little less plinky and a little bigger. And then, like these synth pads start to swell and they get bigger and bigger and like more distorted they're like peaking all crazy and when earth gang first shows up like the first time i listened to this i was like what is this guy doing he's just like 
howling over this dissonant, distorted synth swell, like the beats getting swallowed up. What is this seven minute long song? And then the drop happens, but it's like this reverse drop. Like the, the swell, the ramp gets noisier and noisier and then whoop, it all buckles down and then the real song kind of, you know, just slithers out of it like a little snake, you know? Fucking amazing, dude. It's really cool. It's like so like legit when it comes to the genre that it's tackling. Before like Damon even comes in, I feel like I, I forget that I'm listening to a gorilla song. And it's really cool that they have like some a song like this in their greater body of work now. I love what Damon does here too when he does show up. He's very literal here in a way that I think is great. Will we wake up tomorrow? I feel like we are closer together. Sing for colossal changes and how we treat each other when we're living, which feels like the kind of like very little literal social messaging that a dude like Jamie Principal might have done back on his like 80s house songs, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that kid's chorus in the back, maybe that is just that Albarn niece just overdubbed over and over again. Just going, ah. I really like that part of the song too. That, that adds some like real energy to it to like an already very energetic track i should say one of these earth gang boys takes another phenomenal verse here my favorite line it is <laughs> leave a toothbrush in your dreams <laughs> that one is good yeah I, I really like everything that these guys are doing on the track good pick for collaborators and damon hopes that the radiant light is shining on you trevor is it not at the moment, but uh, I mean, maybe someday. Uh, you want to talk about piano outros. That dude, whatever his name is, Afro-Cuban jazz guy, what a wrecking crew. He kills it. Like, it starts out with this much lower in the mix piano, and then the overdub comes in just jazzy as fuck. Goddamn. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, Damon was definitely, like, taking risks with this song, but all of them paid off, and it really has resulted in something that we haven't seen before from the band and it's just like a real artistic success i can't believe we have a gorilla song like this now i'm so stoked that we have this song now it's great it's really good it felt like it feels like taking a lot of the energy from humans and turning it into something a little bigger and like a little more powerful agreed big 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 fave what do you think about this next bonus track simplicity This one features Joan is Policewoman, which is the recording moniker of singer-songwriter Joan Wasser, who's released music under the name since 2004. A couple other credits. Uh, Remy Kabaka doesn't just do uh, drum programming on this one. He also adds live percussion. You know, the amount of work that she does on this, because she's doing a lot of shit on this song, Trevor. She has like more credits than anyone else on the album. She's got like vocals, production, writing she also performs guitar keyboards upright bass and an eru which is a two-stringed bowed instrument from china that is probably my favorite thing about this song and she her her section is probably my favorite part of the song too i think she's doing really good work here she starts things off in this very weird bluesy like tom waitsian place uh, I like when she sings, Oh, say, can you see the thunder and lightning and heavens open up for us? But then Damon kind of takes over pretty quickly. 
and it sounds a little less bluesy, maybe a little more bossa nova once he comes in. Definitely bossa nova y. I love his lyrics here. He's saying some real wild shit. I, I, I earmarked a couple. We had suspects, but a box set caught, caught your eye, and I was forgotten. <laughs> what a weird line that is. Who hasn't been there, though? Yeah, like, man, this lady's just more excited about this box set she found. Uh, Eventually, on on the interlude, he hits this cadence that feels like it might be a little callback to the Earth Gang hook on, on Opium when he's going like, shut in, don't know, not meant to be. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. That's pretty cool, though. And then another another Damon highlight here is that like underneath all of that, he, he overdubs this like weird whisper vocal, and the lyrics to that are very, very head-turning. Uh, I really like... Wood pigeon, I always hear you. <laughs> that one's really good. I like I like what Damon is doing on this song. This this track like initially struck me as feeling a little insubstantial, but I've since grown to quite like it. It's like a really like a groovy little number. In fact, it reminds me a lot of the '70s crat rock band Can, and the specific kind of hypnotic grooves found on some of their albums. Yep, I can see that. I can see that for sure. I, I wanted to ask you though, Dylan. I will give you like $10 right now if you can tell me the one time that Gorillas and Jonas Placewoman have intersected in the past. Oh my god. Well, I might be able to get this. Okay, let's see. I know she started out as like a violinist. She worked with like Sufjan. She worked with a few other people. Did she just, was she a violinist in, in like, uh, I don't know, Demon Days Live in New York or something? You're going in the complete wrong direction. All right, well, I give up. The answer is that brief clips of both of these bands' music were featured in the 2008 monster horror film Cloverfield. <laughs> Weird, because the 192000 Soul Child version. <laughs> exactly, yep. That's the song that was in there. <laughs> <laughs> How fucking weird. This is still fairly insubstantial to me. I think that Joan is the MVP here. I love that she's doing this one-woman band thing on here. Uh, but, you know, of these, of the bonus tracks, this is the one that feels the most bonus tracky to me. Yeah, this one's, like, I, I could never see it making it onto the, the main album. But like The Lost Chord, I think it's one of the best songs on the album to just kind of put on and vibe to. I feel that. I'm a bigger fan of this next one. We got Severed Head. I be losing everything. I can't keep a fucking thing. Through the money, through the fame. It seems like that controls this thing. Guess my head just left the building. Like out the window, missed the ceiling. I cannot explain this feeling. I never learned to speak Brazilian. This one features the rapper Goldlink, who was chosen as part of the XXL freshman class in 2015, and Unknown Mortal Orchestra, which is a Portland-based psychedelic rock band primarily composed of two artists from New Zealand. There's singer-guitarist and songwriter Ruben Nielsen and bassist Jake Portrait. Are you a are you a UMO guy? No, I've never really been super into their stuff. Maxton is a big fan of Unknown Mortal Orchestra, who not only get a vocal and writer credit here, they also get a performer credit for playing bells. <laughs> Weird, okay. They, they've always struck me as a band that has a pretty, like, fervent cult, you know? Yeah, I've never been a member. I like a couple of their tracks, but there's something about their sound that bugs me. It always feels a little, like too lo-fi for the kind of music that it is i think he's a good vocalist yeah let's talk about gold link okay yeah i mean he's clearly 
doing a Kendrick Lamar thing on this track. That was what struck me first. <laughs> I went back and listened to like five of his singles, dude. That's just how he raps. He just is yeah. a Kendrick Lamar sound-alike guy. I mean, if you if you want to imitate someone, go for the greats, I guess. Like, I'm not complaining about his feature on this one. I, I like what he's doing. It's just maybe not the most original thing in the world. I think that his uh, his verses are well written here. I like when he admits that he never learned to speak a zillion languages. I like uh, the weird like anatomical game of musical chairs that he plays at the end of the verse when he's like, found on my torso, I mean my neck go, but where did my heart go? I mean my leg go, but where did my mind go? And that's really good. I actually think those lyrics are kind of weak and I think he he's mainly getting by here on his flow. I like that... that run trevor because to me this is a song that's like more than anything about trauma and the disorientation of trauma and that speaks to that kind of like body horror fear to me you know like you're just like my face my heart my eyes my heart what what is all this shit right speaking of body horror i feel like the big moment on this song has got to be that damon verse where he sings about sticking his head out of a moving train and decapitating himself. And then he's not on the rest of the record. Very spooky. It's like a creepypasta or something. Yeah. It, to me, it feels like David watched Hereditary and was so struck by it that he wrote this song. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people throwing Hereditary out as a reference. I have not been engaging with the Gorillaz fandom. I will be come right out and say that I think the Gorillaz fandom has become a toxic nightmare and I don't want to engage with it at all. I have not looked at anybody's anything. I, I definitely have kind of cooled it on us like identifying myself as a gorillas fan which is a little ironic considering i, I host a gorillas <laughs> podcast every now and then yeah it, is this song to hereditary what neil diamond's heart light is to et we'll, we'll only know once damon alvarn comes on the show and tells us yeah maybe we could do a whole episode where we watch the movie with him or something i do think that that ruby and nelson's uh performance here packs a good emotional punch i love these lyrics about lying awake and grinding his teeth and like watching other people die and wondering if he's going to be next it really feels like he's spinning around at night you know watching the the sun come up yeah my favorite part of the song is still probably damon's part in addition to the decapitation lyric i really like that lyric that goes like paradise has has mountains that take a lifetime to climb in dreams i fly above them amazing very evocative super evocative i do like gold link's outro here too the roundabout the life is not we all go die overall a really solid bonus track i think i can see why this one didn't make the main album although i might have liked it too i think it's one of the cooler more darker more mysterious moments on this record honestly my main problem here is that the the sound alike nature of gold link's flow pulls me out of this a little bit it makes me feel like i'm listening to like some kind of a weird chinese bootleg of a kendrick verse (laughs) yeah i could see why that would be distracting and it is a little bit for me but overall i just kind of dig the performance you want to talk about a performance that i dig yes next we've got with love to an x where i'm from they said i live on a cloud simply because i just dream too much black shit but i am all blue now it's the start but i've done blue up featuring moonchild tanelli a south african musician and dancer who's known for her signature blue hair and her self-created music genre called future ghetto punk holy shit 
this is a banger, dude. This is a banger. My number two on the record, but but Moonchild is my fucking number one for the new cast of the Circle of Friends on this record, dude. Yeah, I mean, it is a very memorable, distinct performance. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it the first time I heard this song. This is one that I needed a couple listens for it to start growing on me. But yeah, now I can definitely agree this is like easily one of the best bonus tracks and a real highlight on the whole record. Oh my god, yeah. So it starts out with this very sweaty, very dark, very massive attacky, like tribally opening. Yeah, the the beat is so like menacing and sinister. Yeah, so sinister. And she takes this verse about like alienation and, and the people who are bothering her and she concludes it by saying that she's gonna go to Google and bomb their systems down, which is amazing. That's like obviously my favorite part of the song and a, a real highlight of the record in general. I think my favorite part of the song is the hook the the going back and forth between the english and the josa and back again the the ex name as blowing out my dms wanna me for lunch breakfast or a dinner so fucking cool man she's just like it's a monster hook i love it so much dude it's like the hook of the phase for me and then like if i was not already on board then this bridge comes in and she's all pitch shifted down doing the It's so great. I love it, dude. Yeah, this song definitely makes me feel like I've been kind of tied to a stick over a fire with an apple in my mouth and I'm being like <laughs> rotisseried by a bunch of like Amazonian warlords or something who are about to eat me alive. Amazing. That interlude is so striking. And Warner was like super cool, or maybe it was Parlophone. I don't know who's responsible for this, but they sent us over like translations of all the non English lyrics here. And I really want to highlight that little interlude bridge because I think it's like a manifesto. Yeah, are you talking about the part that's like translated to? I want bars, I want pounds, I want money, I want to buzz, I want to be busy, I want fun. I know she's she initially brings up I want change, and then she's like, I want sex, I want a man, I want a woman, I want change. It's so good. Very good. Need Funi Chanji, man, in the gorillas fandom and everywhere else. <laughs> That's how I feel. And I feel like there might be, I have not looked into this, but I feel like there might be some fans who are a little off board with this interlude she does when the beat cools it way down but i find her like so adorable and so winning here when she's like you are too much i want too much i love you but you've got big butt yeah that one definitely <laughs> spun my head around like the first time i heard it but i've since grown to like really appreciate it much like the rest of the song and then the beat comes back in with like all this extra like weight to it and it's just face melting to me dude it's like a hot jet engine blowing in my face i love it it's a it's a real winner i wonder if the fact that it was uh delegated to the bonus tracks has anything to do with the fact that damon's not on it and maybe he's like still feeling a little self-conscious about that i think he's very gun shy think about it these last three songs that are that are held back from the main there's one of them that really feels like it should be in the main record for how much of like a, a dick suck to the gorillas fandom it is but <laughs> We'll get there in a second, but like it really feels like this dude is scared. Yeah, I mean, there aren't any songs on the on the main album that he doesn't appear on, are there? He always shows up on all of the main 11. Even if just for a little bit, he's always there. On these bonus tracks, not really. If you were the guy who wrote the Discord rampage that Damon read, we have you to thank. Yeah. Do you want to get on to the next track, though? Because it is my number three on the album, MLS. Day and night, but the 
MLS. Let's talk about it. Sick. Yes. Featuring JPEG Mafia, a rapper from Baltimore, best known for his albums Veteran and All My Heroes Are Cornballs, as well as for executive producing the most recent album by Gorilla's affiliate Danny Brown. You know what I'm saying? I gotta say, I'm a huge Peggy fan, and I totally recommend you go listen to Cornballs from last year. That record's amazing. Yeah, I found his albums to be like a little bit impenetrable, but I'm like, there are definitely JPEG Mafia songs that I like a lot. He's the best boaster in the game right now, in my opinion. Also on this track, we've got Chai, a four-member all-female rock band from Nagoya Aichi, Japan. The Gorillaz fandom probably doesn't deserve a gift like this song, but hey... We'll take it. Yeah, I'm glad we <laughs> have sure. it. It kind of feels like it plays the same role in this bonus track segment as Out of Body does on the Humans bonus track. Oh, I can see that. It's just like a very fun, super buoyant, collaborator-focused jam that comes towards the very end of the record. Uh, Chai and JPEG Mafia both do great work on this track, and they turn in what I think are two of the most charismatic performances on the entire record. I really want to talk about these lyrics in the yeah. Chai thing. Yeah. Okay. What do you What do you have? So I mentioned that Warner sent over translations for the non English lyrics, and of course Chai does some of their uh, lyrics here in Japanese. Weirdly enough, the doc that the label sent us has two versions of this translation, uh, with one of them having this little parenthetical next to it saying "manager said." Right. So they have their version plus what the manager told them it said. So the Japanese lyric that Chai say a few times on this, their spoken word, one translation is, it's a funk, here comes a beautiful day. Or if you if you rather take Chai's manager at their word, just a little bit smelly, but it's so funky. That's a feeling good and beautiful day. Mm-hmm. I much prefer that second version. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit smelly. But it's, but so, it's funky. so funky. It's so funky. <laughs> and it is, dude. This is like vintage, cartoony, gorillas, synth funk, dude. 19, 2000, super fast jellyfish. It's probably the most gorillasy thing here. Yeah, this is the one that I'm really shocked didn't make the actual album. It's crazy. I think it definitely deserves to be on there. I can't listen to this song without like grinning like an idiot, too. It's just so fun and, and messy and playful and, and great. Yeah, I think my favorite part that never fails to make me smile is when there's like a split second pause in the track and Chai goes, Gorilla. Super Gorilla. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best. Dude, the worst part of this being a bonus track is that we'll never get to see Noodle dancing to this silly ass song and singing Super Gorilla in yeah. a music video. That is that is disappointing. Heartbreaking. I really, I really like JPEG Mafia's verses on this though. Like, I'm used to his stuff being a little bit more obtuse and confrontational than this, but here he just really sounds like he's having a blast being on a gorilla's track. You gotta put in more time with Peggy, man. Peggy's boastful and hilarious and fun everywhere. You just gotta kind of lock into his groove. I mean, I know I know he has a very good sense of humor. You can tell that just from, like, his track titles alone. For sure. And like, I think having... I learned about... I think I first learned about the dude because, like, I saw, like, a track posted somewhere that was titled, like, I cannot fucking wait until Morrissey dies. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's having such a blast on this first verse, like, when he's like, I wish a neighbor would claim that I'm a phase. I'm a wave. Yeah. Like, the dude is, like, He's the best boaster in hip-hop right now. And then on that second verse, you get some auto-tune crooning, which is a very rare flavor from Peg. I love that part. His vocals are so good. And just all the little ad-libs he throws in and all the like fun little vocal inflections. Yee! When he goes super high, yee! 
if I had to if I had to pick a favorite collaborator on the album, he he would probably get it from me. He kills it on both of these versions. I love yep. when he goes. Uh, I'm so positive. Throw up a peace sign. Get to the bridge. Give him lead time. Yeah. <laughs> and then Chai comes in with that outro where they're like thinking about you, thinking about you, and then eventually thinking about her, thinking about her, which like can only make me think of like Taylor Swift fan tweets where they're like thinking about her. A little bit, yeah. That is kind of reminiscent. And then as if as if you haven't been paying the fandom this like beautiful gift. Then you get a melodica break at the end. Yes, I I feel like that's one of the main reasons why I don't find myself like wishing Damon was on this song more. Cause like, what better just kind of like Damon appearance than him showing up on the melodica? It is just like the 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 Kilo Kish song in a way because the way that he shows up at the end of that with his little his little verse feels very similar when he shows up with this melodica break. Yep, and I agree, like, real fan service. Gorilla's fandom, you better be, like, on your best behavior for the rest of this phase, because Damon is making love to you with the song. <laughs> He's just really in and out. We don't we don't know what MLS stands for, right? No, Google has a few common uses for that abbreviation. Okay, like what? Okay, so there's uh, multiple listing service, which is something to do with real estate. Okay. There's Major League Soccer. We know, of uh, course, that, that... 2D's buddies with that one football player. Yeah. And then there's also My Life Sucks, which feels like maybe like a Mormon-approved version of Fuck My Life. Yeah, a little bit. What if it stands for... What if it stands for Mark Lee Smith? Oh, wait. <laughs> what? Like, you know, like like my favorite girl is collaborator. M-E-S. Mark Lee Smith. Just, just another example of lesser artists trying to channel the brilliance of the fall. Well, he's MLS now because he took the biggest L of all when he died. Sure. Mark Late Smith. <laughs> we got one more dude. Let's do it. Alright. Yeah, well last up we got yeah. how far. Walk on brother. Time to hustle for the money, give a change to your mother. Change them sheets, you got stains on the cover. Better look sharp than your face on the cover. Featuring Skepta and a final performance by Tony Allen. When I saw that this ended the deluxe version, I thought, okay, well they wanted to finish by like sending off Tony Allen, like even if this song doesn't make sense on a musical level as a closer, but you know, I feel like I feel like I'm on the same page. I was like, oh, okay, that's just going to be kind of like almost like a post credits thing where it's like tribute to Tony Allen, much in the same way they used uh, the K Pasa Contigo performances to close those Demon Days shows. But I do actually kind, think kind of works, it though. works as a pretty solid closer for this whole experience. Yeah, it feels not like a definitive end, but like an ellipsis, which like you kind of, which feels appropriate to the ending of a season one. I said punctuative. It has a punctuative feeling. The dun dun dun, oh yeah. It's got like a. It's like the chuckling specter of Tony Allen is like watching over everything. You know. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it like the the skepta lyrics also feel pretty fitting for a closing track. Like he's saying like. You got to be careful out there, you know. Like things are over, but be careful out there. He also mentioned summer again, so you get you get more seasonal imagery on this record. So you yeah, know, it, it all works. kind of ties together, even if it feels like a big wild circus. I gotta say, if any of these songs we've already talked about have grown on me, uh, it might be this one. It feels more substantial than it did to me when it first dropped. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm glad it got included here, even if it wasn't technically a proper song machine track. 
I would hold this beat up in particular as like kind of a kind of a textbook example of the kinds of rap beats that Remy and Damon have have grown into making with each other. Like this would be a good portfolio piece for do you want Remy and Damon to do a beat on your record? Yeah, agreed. This is kind of like the flavor that they have honed in on and what they've found kind of works best for them. And with that, believe it or not, I don't know, to me it kind of flew by, but we made it to the end of the song machine. It was all 17 tracks, baby. All 17 tracks so far. Are you ready? Are you ready for the for the moments? Let's talk about our three favorite moments on Song Machine Season 1, Strange Times. I'll start. My third favorite moment, I mentioned that the song Dead Butterflies had my least favorite moment on this record. It also has my third favorite moment, Damon's second verse. G-Funk synth, sexy, smooth, bring it on. He really goes for it on that track, and I think he pulls it off. My third favorite moment would be when Damon sticks his head out the window of a moving train and decapitates himself on Severed Head. I mean, you want to talk about the definition of a moment. That's a fucking moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Probably the most graphic depiction of violence we've gotten on a Gorillaz track uh, since that bizarre verse on nine one one nine eleven. Less problematic, at least this time. I, I don't right? want to talk about it. If if you want to hear that verse, go listen to it. I don't want to yeah, talk about it. That's on you. We're not yeah. we're not saying anything about it. My number two favorite moment on this record is in Opium when the huge ramping synths clear out and that drop kind of skitters out like a little rat i feel like opium is such a titan of a track on this thing like i would have accepted if all three of your favorite moments were from yeah it's it's a real head turner that song what's your number two my second favorite moment on strange times is jpeg mafia's feature on mls fuck yeah what do you think first verse or second verse which one which one takes it i would probably in a pinch give it to the second one i think he's just having a little bit more fun on that on the second part and like it it feels like a victory lap after the first one and it has its own build too like it really starts off kind of subtle and then by the end he's all over the place really cool really good way to go peggy my my number one moment of phase six trevor is i've been drinking and smoking too much that shit damages that little voice crack that octavian does at the very beginning of friday 13th what a what a striking thing that is octavian is definitely another one of the mvps i think that we've seen arise in this phase so yeah i think big, that feels like MVP a pretty me. good number one and and trevor take us take us home give us your number one moment on strange times my favorite moment on strange times also comes from one of the singles released before we found out that this was going to be an album it's the big shout along finale of momentary bliss damn i mean you you can't get better in this phase if you want to fucking pump your fists in the air and go fucking hog wild yeah i mean you could try but you can't maybe maybe opium comes close opium's opium's very good (laughs) Really good, just a really solid, a really solid album all around, I think, with tons of good tracks. I'm very glad we have this thing. So fun that we have it, and so fun by appearances that we're going to get more. Like, it's cool that this is a thing right now, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm totally down for season two. Something else I'm totally down for, Trevor. So, we've maybe bitched and moaned about the track listing uh throughout this episode a bit it kind of feels like canonically the track listing is a bit of a question mark (laughs) yeah it's almost like this thing doesn't even have like a real definitive track listing because something that they did while promoting this thing was have each of the animated band members put together their own 
unfortunately only slightly different take on the strange times track list yeah the most different ones is noodles because hers is 12 tracks long and she adds mls she's also the only one who doesn't finish the album uh with momentary bliss she finishes it with pink phantom uh i think originally trevor our plan was that we were going to rank all of the different track lists but again they're just so similar that it doesn't really seem like there'd be much of a point to doing that right so instead what we've done is behind the scenes we've kind of put together our own take on the Strange Times single disc track listing. So you got the 2D mix, you got the Russell mix, you got the Noodle mix, you got the Murdoch mix. And you've got what we're calling the little Paula Cracker mix. Just a little bit of a Paula Cracker mix. a little mix. bit of a Paula Cracker track listing. Uh, we, st- we stuck to 11, but I think you'll find unlike the band members alternate takes, we kind of went all in it was a little tough sticking to 11 too there were a couple tracks that we that we kind of had it out over you know and when come coming up with what got cut and what got included there were some tough cuts here i completely agree but i think we've ended up with something that feels very us and we'd like to share it with you now i'm also very satisfied with it we opened up with well we made the same move that the band did here but i think you and i both agree this is a really good opener strange times yeah I, i just wanted to give credit to the vision that they had i wouldn't have thought to do it and it's perfect yeah it just makes a lot of sense in retrospect we follow it up with uh the closing track on the retail version momentary bliss transitions really nicely out of strange times and i think it makes like a really good track too as well oh for sure track two in a pop album is often like a big single and and momentary bliss definitely carries that energy yep i think this next transition also works pretty well this one was like pretty much your call uh we shifted with love to an x all the way up to track three yeah so momentary bliss into with love to an x does this really good thing it's it's a good flavor match it's almost the same note and like it's a perfect little moment of tension release when it starts yeah and damon may now have his reservations about putting songs that he's not featured on on like the actual album but i think like the third track is a pretty solid placement for like a a banger that just doesn't happen to feature Damon Albarn. Let's name some Gorillaz albums that have songs that don't feature Damon Albarn. All of them up until <laughs> the up until the now now. <laughs> he used to be a little bit more secure, but hey, things change. Out of with love to an X, we go into Valley of the Pagans, picking up the energy, man. Yeah, I like having Valley of the Pagans on the front half of this record a lot, and I think track four is a pretty good place for it. You can almost put it anywhere. It kind of has such a hermetically sealed opening that is so much fun immediately that it doesn't really matter where it is. <laughs> Next up at track five, we've got Desolay. Like it here much more than as this penultimate. It's yeah, so it much better. Yeah, it just doesn't do much for me as like an eleventh hour track. I think it's so much better as like a mid tempo, mid album little banger. You know, and that leads into track six, which is the Pink Phantom. I love. It. I really like it out of Desolate. First of all, I think that's a good transit transition. And I think like I wanted to keep the Pink Phantom somewhere in the middle, just because it really does feel like the centerpiece of this record. Agreed completely. We come out of that, though, with like a little bit of a cool down. I think we got Friday 13th at number seven. I love it here because in that like it's a beautiful day thing, it feels like we're moving in towards the back portion of the record, you know? Yeah, maybe we're starting to see a little bit of resolution. It just works really well in this spot, I think. And this transition was probably one of my favorites on this uh, mix, Trevor. It's very buttery. When we go into Aries out of Friday 13th. Yeah, I think having one track in between the Pink Phantom and Aries is like the exact right amount of space 
to have between those two songs and the little medley of pink phantom to friday to aries works very well when they're right next to each other like they are in the retail it's like metal on metal you can't do that but but friday 13th is like a little washer that you screw on so that it doesn't scratch up i wanted to have something a little like darker and more intense in the track list next though as we start to approach the end of the record just so it feels like the stakes are getting a little high here's where we dropped the severed head of damon albarn yeah i think that works really well like track track nine out of eleven that's a great mo that's a great time for him to be sticking his head out of a window and getting decapitated i like that we stuck with the creepypasta choice that damon made here too and our last two tracks also don't feature damon vocals well he does show up at the end but after severed head there is a little bit of a break where he's gone for a minute because for track 10 we went with mls which feels like a, a a good like thing to follow up such a heavy and perhaps heady moment with. You know, you want to kind of let the air out just a little bit, so you so you throw in a fun little jam there to follow that up with. Super fun, and you know, MLS being restored to the top eleven, I think is a is a choice that I can't imagine a lot of Gorillas fans would balk at. No, I mean Damon must have been just really skeptical that a song that he's not on would be well received to relegate this thing to the bonus tracks to begin with i'm I'm happy to see it restored here to the proper proper album and i mean you mentioned it when we reviewed the song trevor there's a song on this cut on this collection that feels like it's tailor-made to be this big crazy epic finish yeah i mean obviously we went with opium for the closer i don't know how you don't make that move it just seems so obvious I, I don't know what it was either. Is it just what what made them gun shy? It's a fucking masterpiece. I mean, I know it's not a big single. Maybe it's just that maybe it's just that JB Hewlett was like, I'm not doing seven minutes of animation. Pick something else. That's entirely possible. I hadn't even considered that's a, that. That's a theory that ha- that feels like it might have some weight to it. Oh yeah, yeah. But anyway, so concludes the Paula Cracker mix. We did it. We did it. And that concludes the the Song Machine episode. Um, I do want to take this time to remind you, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash howlyoumonkeys. The release order has been a little slow recently, but hopefully we're picking up on that. And, you know, there are already like, what, like a good like 15 or 16 or 17 episodes that we've done that people can get access to just for the low, low price of $1. Yeah, if you pay a buck, uh, you can go listen to all those back ones. There's some really fun, crazy things on there. There's like a plot arc on on that series, dude. Yeah, there's like a little bit of lore to the Patreon club, but you know fork over a little money and you can you can listen to it too check it out if you want if you want to check out something free however that we're working on uh we have a new podcast together trevor yeah one where we talk about blog rock of all things (laughs) we talk about fucking pitchfork on our new podcast pretentious the best new music 10 years later yeah we are on that on that show we are reviewing albums that received the coveted best new music award from Pitchfork Media uh, 10 years ago. Because, you know, a lot of classic albums are starting to turn 10 years old. So we, we we're taking that as an opportunity to go back and look at them and see if they might get a perfect 10 from Pitchfork when they are inevitably reissued in the future. So yeah, search Pretentious on your on your podcatcher app of choice. Go listen to our first three episodes. Got another one coming out soon. Search Pretentious Best New Music. I don't think it comes up if you just type in Pretentious. It doesn't for if me enough at least. Of you, if enough of you rate and review it, it will. So please do that, guys. <laughs> 
Dylan, you also have like a cool solo thing that you've been working on the past couple weeks. Solo, but I mean, it's still very much in the family. You're a big part of it. and I mean, many, many people are saying that my appearances on it are the best parts. I believe I've been one of them. Uh, the the This is a show called Play It By Year with Duff Dixon. It's a very weird show. It's hard to explain. Uh, I host this show in character as this 20 billion year old former CIA time traveler. I play music on it. It's it's partially a music show. I do like blocks. They all correspond to a certain year. So like I did a 2008 episode recently and I did a new disco block, for example. Uh, and, and then there's also like this big science fiction serialized adventure story. There's like crazy improv. You got to listen to it for Trevor's character. He's extremely funny on the show. Check out Play it by year with Duff Dixon, also available on your podcatcher of choice or Spotify or whatever. I would definitely recommend it to fans of like Welcome to Night Vale and that kind of radio show. Sure. Yeah, definitely in that mode. Yeah. And you can also find us on social media and stuff. We are at Gorillas Fancast on Twitter. Like we mentioned earlier, uh, if you want the chance to uh, watch the Gorillas live stream with us, you should tweet at us uh what was that hashtag i believe it was hashtag the podcast machine is rumbling yeah and if you want to be on a, an episode a future episode also enter into that contest uh you can also find trevor ickrath on twitter at trvrkrth trevor ickrath with all the vowels taken out and you can find dylan on twitter at dylan flynn dylan spelled d-i-l-l-o-n boy oh boy i can't believe that we made it through a gorilla's album review it's a hard kind of episode to do after a break dude yeah i mean and how often do we get to do this kind of thing i'm really glad we were able to sit down and talk about this thing together that's kind of like now my favorite part of a gorillas album coming out honestly doing this show has has certainly locked gorillas into like the most nostalgic realms realms of my heart trevor and you're a big part of that and uh and the community who listens is a big part of that we love you guys we do not lump lump you in with maybe the disparaging things that i've said about the fandom we consider hallelujah monkeys listeners to be their own distinct and much much superior breed yeah you guys are the good ones you're the you're the good apples in the bunch and we'll talk to you again real soon but for now we gotta get going so I'll just say that I've been Trevor Graff. And I'll just say that I've been Dylan Flynn. And I'll also say that you should not get lost in heaven. Demo. Demo.